on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Evan Dorkin. His latest collection is the massive uh, Milk and Cheese collection from Dark Horse, as well um, the Beast of Burden collection, also from Dark Horse, and various short stories uh, that can be found in Dark Horse Presents. And what else do you have recent that's been coming out? Um, well, geez. Uh, since you mentioned Dark Horse three times there, I guess you could say I'm doing a lot of work with Dark Horse <laughs> these days. Um... We just, as you mentioned, we just had the uh, we had three Beasts of Burden stories run in Dark Horse Presents last year and the beginning of this year. And starting with the last issue of Dark Horse Presents, I'm doing eight pages a month for three months of humor strips, purported humor strips, uh, which is basically an issue of Dork in color, except I call it House of Fun now. Uh, Dork, I buried the uh, title because I, I was sick of it years back when uh, it seems like a good joke in the 90s to to use that part of my name for a nerdy title but I just got tired of it and uh, I also we we found out a long time ago when I was still with SLG that there were midwestern retail outlets that would not carry it 
because of the title Dork, which was news to me that it was that big a deal because there's a candy bar called Dork. And it, I just thought it was the kind of dopey thing, you know, a kid calls another kid in a movie. But uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Schwanz, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the fact that a lot of people use it for uh, the happy digit down below. Uh, yeah. It's, so. like, it's like banning something if it's called Nards. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that would have been a title in the 90s for some a one-person anthology. I'm sure everybody was doing the one name uh you know self-deprecating or you know i was gonna say i, I was gonna say oddball or weirdo and yeah weirdo is one of the titles so Did you eight, ever see uh johnny ryan's take on eight ball um probably but i don't remember it it's called eight balls and it's a guy with eight balls well that's pretty literal yeah. there you go i mean it's that's you know it's like uh it's like nancy you 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 work with the visual you think that you know you work backwards, or I don't know what I'm talking about, because I'm not Scott McCloud. Thank God. <laughs> micropayments, micropayments. That's all I get on micropayments. He was right. Micro, <laughs> he was right after all. Micropayments. Here's another dollar seventy-two from Graffiti, from something I did in 1997. <laughs> Holy crap! All right. See, this is what I said I wasn't going to try to do. I wasn't going to try to go walk, you... walking off and going off. You asked me what kind of comics up. You asked me the. Sorry, Robin. <laughs> I think all I did so far was list the comics you had out recently. Um. Yeah, I'm doing. Yeah. Right. Okay. But I felt like I had to uh, explain the House of Fun thing as if anybody gives a crap. If people know my work, they know what it is, and the rest don't care. So I don't know why anybody tweets anything anymore. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, did a um a murder. Fa I brought back the murder family one last time. Maybe next to last time I did a uh, five pages of milk and cheese, uh, a new Eltingville story, uh, and six pages of, of of fun strips, the little four four panel gag things. Which and I haven't done a lot of that stuff in a long time. So um, yeah, basically it's an issue of Dork in color, colored by Sarah Dyer, my wife. And uh, you know, Dark Horse Presents is like the only anthology of you know mid-brow stuff I guess you know mm -hmm. genre and jokes and crap that uh, that cares to hire me so I'm very happy they brought it back I was gonna say though like you're saying you know people that know you read it or read it or won't read it um, but also seems like you're kind of thrown in with a lot of stuff that wouldn't be the kind of regular group you would be tossed in with I don't I don't know if there's presents. a regular group I'd be tossed in with uh, anymore other than you know vagrants uh, you know, they're, they're really, you know, it's things that I don't understand. Look, I mean, maybe this will be a running theme here because I haven't talked. To, I don't understand this industry anymore, you know? I really don't. I've spoken to several people uh, who've been in the industry about the same amount of time as I have been. And uh, I feel like we're in that, you know, the technology has changed, the market has changed, and I didn't change for about 10 years from about 2000 to 2010. And I just felt like I feel like I'm starting all over again. Practically, um, I have no idea who my readership is anymore. Pretty much, you'd think you'd have a better idea because of social media. Uh, I don't have a Facebook page, but between Twitter and my live journal and, and people blogging, you would think that you have a better idea. But I'll tell you, I had a better idea of my audience when people were sending me letters through the mail, uh, written, you know, postcards and actual letters. Because I think now people put the stuff out there. 
and they're so self-aware about what they're saying that they don't I don't know maybe they don't want you to know that they read my stuff <laughs> when they sent a letter to you it was between you and that person but I don't that's you know actually that, that theory is bullshit because nobody emails me anymore they put it on a blog or they don't but uh, I just don't you know I was talking to a fellow cartoonist and we were, were we both seemed we were like throwing our hands up in the air uh, as are other people like what what is this industry all about anymore <laughs> you know um, it felt like I had more readers in the 90s um, I mean part, part of that is because I uh, my work it's not like I'm doing the continuing adventures of any one thing I've always been scattershot and then I didn't do a lot of work on a steady basis but friends of mine who keep pumping this stuff out it just feels like I don't know maybe we're the Herb Trimpies of, 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 of the 21st century or something maybe we're just getting thrown over on the other hand, I feel like things are finally moving for me again after a while, but I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's reading this stuff um, because uh, book sales and uh, other things have spread out. Your, you know, your 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 information, the the, inf the feedback I get is just not what it used to be. That's what if I knew how to put things into one sentence, that's what I should have said. So uh, I don't know what your question was, but here I am doing what I always do, and that's blabbing. Jesus. Um, you uh, said, ask me what pencil I use. I can I can do that. I can do that in a sentence. <laughs> you mentioned that you hadn't really changed between 2000 and 2010. So what have you changed since 2010? Because it is 2012 now. Is it? Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. What have I changed? Well, first of all, I'm. I was working on a lot of projects that took me away from comics, in large chunks of time. Uh, the Eltingville pilot, actually the world's funnest thing was a comic, but it took me out of my own comics for six or seven months. I, I, I ended up working on some very large projects, at least in my perspective large projects, that uh, you know crashed and burned. And uh, while I wasn't expecting or planning on them to be more successful, they really burnt me out. World's funnest and uh, went nowhere, uh, pretty much. And uh, the Eltingville pilot, you know, was not picked up and was a big uh, nothing and I'm, we had put a ton of time into that and then you know I was still going crazy if you've read Dork 7 you know there was the vestiges of that and I was working on a pilot for the Adult Swim after Eltingville which I ruined um, because of personal problems I had making decisions it was like the stupidest reason to destroy a pilot uh, the script was done the art was done I had finished all that up the Bible needed a very small revision, and I froze, and I froze for months, and then finally, you know, they put it on a shelf, which is, you know, I agree with that. And then, you know, one of the problems was, um, you know, I don't want to get into it, uh, I don't want to slag anybody, but, you know, I, I, I think I stayed with SLG longer than I should have. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it was just hard to get the work done there. Um, because of the business model that SLG has. Um, it worked great in the 90s where I was doing lots of work for a lot of anthologies and Deadline, Ma Deadline Magazine and Punk Zines. I mean I was doing free stuff, I was doing paid stuff and I collected it all into all my books and eventually I had to do the entire books all at once because there wasn't any material to collect. The anthologies were drying up and dying, people weren't paying even like 30 bucks a page Deadline was gone, Dark Horse Presents was gone, Dark Horse Comics was gone, uh, Negative Burn was gone, you know, you, I mean, you, mm -hmm. you, you know what I'm talking about. That's the, the mid-90s yeah. uh, 
post heroes. Movies, yeah, I, for me, I guess, yeah. But I mean, anthologies are not really, really dead. They're just the things like we the 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 monthly or bi-monthly or regular anthology. Um, there's still all these anthologies that are sort of big one-shot, you know, thirty to fifty dollar books, and then there's things like Flight, if I'm remembering that, which is, but these are like collectives of specific people getting together, friends or associates or like-minded, and the like-minded people like me either left comics or stopped liking my mind or something, because I just, you know, I was on the outs. There was not a lot of phone calls, uh, and I have a problem looking for work. This is something that I'm working on, and you know, something uh, about five, year, four, three years ago was the first time I had no work in my career. Um, and it, for somebody like me, even though I act like a goofball when you're talking to me or I'm on a panel, I'm not good at pitching things. I never had a portfolio. I can't go on meetings, even with people I know. I have real mm -hmm. problems. Something I'm working on. Uh, You've got a so lot of anxiety, right? Yeah, <laughs> that would be it. Yeah, uh, and a lot of a lot of you know negative reinforcement. And um, I mean, I never went on when I got into the industry. It was people dragged me to meetings, or I met people in non-professional. Like I met a lot of people at San Diego when it was a smaller convention back in uh, 1987, 1988. I ended up working with those people down the line, but I wasn't hanging out with them to get work. I was sitting next to Dan Votto on the SLG table. And I got to know them. I got to, I annoyed them, but I got to know them. And I met uh, Bob Shrek and Diana Schutz. I met Bob Burden. He invited me to work with him for two weeks. Uh, I met Byron Price. He hired me back. I had to go to San Diego to get work in New York. But that was, a, I mean, I don't know when the first convention you did, San Diego you might have attended or if, you, if you've been. Never been. It was, it was not, you know, uh, the World's Fair like it is now. Um, I mean, I haven't gone since 2000, and it was turning into the World's Fair. When I went, it was a – kind of felt more like what Heroes World feels like now, except, you know, there was some, you know, TV stuff and things like that. It was – you know, there were more – but you could meet everybody, and you can speak to them. And the fans could speak to the professionals. People weren't running off for meetings. I ended up meeting a ton of people who I'm still friendly with. Uh, back in the the late, you know, and I, I didn't know how to network, but I knew how to get drunk with people and laugh a lot, and uh, that's how I ended up, by and large, getting uh, contact, getting work at Dark Horse back in '91, getting work at uh, Marvel in '91, and uh, starting up my books with with uh, Slave Labor with SLG. I I would not know how to get it. Somebody wrote me uh, the other day and said, "How do you get into comics?" I was like, "I I have no idea." It used to be, you know, you went to Marvel in D.C. and tried to arrange a meeting back when I was 86, you know. Um, they had they portfolio reviews. You could call them up and schedule an interview. And a friend dragged me to a few of those. Um, um, but I, I don't think you can even send stuff to D.C. anymore uh, because of legal issues, uh, blind, you know. So it's, yeah, it's, it's uh, once again, I've forgotten the question. Sorry, man, but... Uh, well, I'm just wondering what what, you, what what am I doing different? Well, one thing is I'm just trying to get a lot more work done. That's for sure. Uh, I'm trying not to think about it as much. I'm trying to. I'm having. I have real problems making decisions, uh, not just in business, but on the page and uh, comics that I used to just do as a as a as a lark. A milk and cheese page was not supposed to be something that I'd sit down and look at for two weeks. It was something I kicked out in two days uh, for deadline. 
uh, for, for, for fanzines. And now I sit there and they are much more structured and I like them. People don't like them as much now as they used to, I think, but I like them better now. But because that's because I think the energy of the early strips really, people like that, uh, but the artwork was, you know, horrible. The, the, the first, you know, quarter of the Milk and Cheese book has some really rough stuff in it. But uh, hopefully, the, I don't know, the jokes work. People responded to it, you know? I mean, there's a reason it's still, you know, limping along. <laughs> there's something about the uh, immediacy of the seething hate in Milk and Cheese that really attracts people. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes I don't get it because to me the seething hate is such a put-on. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's there, but sometimes it really isn't. I mean, for me, the most fun stuff is the way the characters interact. I just like them as a kind of vaudeville comedy team. Um, the repetitiveness, the, uh, the the way that they speak as if they're following a script. Um, the catchphrases. Yeah, and the genuine actually like that they, they like each other. I mean, even though that doesn't maybe doesn't make sense. That uh, there's a they're never cruel to each other. Um, neither is the bane of the others. Uh, bane. Neither is the you know the others doesn't. I, I, there's something I just like about them. They're just two horrible little kids. You know, they, I guess they like the cats and jammer kids to a degree. Or uh, uh, J.R. Williams used to do uh, something called the Bad Boys and you know things like that. It's just, they're just it's them against the world. But people take it some of the things so seriously that I've written about when it's it's obvious that they're hypocrites, and that some of the things that they make fun of I like, some of the things they like I hate. It's you know I think people from the response I've gotten from the book, some of the reviews I've gotten, most of which have been uh, struck me as neg. I guess I got a bunch of neg. I shouldn't have gone looking because since they are my like my little kids, I hate seeing people slag them even if I agree with them. But uh, uh, people seem to overestimate or underestimate how serious the strip is. They either think it's a complete piss take that means nothing, that it's just, you know, junk, or they think it actually is high satire. Uh, you know, I, I put it in the middle there, hopefully, at best. Yeah. It's a milk and cheese, you know? Jesus. Who are some vaudeville kind of oh, I... acts that you would... You would connect with I get all of them because they're <laughs> dead too <laughs> um, it's not just vaudeville it's you know old show business I guess I should have used that phrase more than anything you know comedy teams um, well when you say vaudeville I have this kind of rough idea in my head that kind of kind of a generational idea of like 20s to 40s that like this, well, it's, this it's earlier than that I'm mean, it's it's much earlier than that actually. yeah by the 40s it's effectually it's effectively dead I mean maybe even by the 20 by the 20s it's falling apart and uh, yeah I guess like Chaplin was doing I mean I would think that um, Roger Langridge would have a better take on 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 vaudeville or what would they dance hall or I don't know what they would call it or not dance hall but you know yeah uh, uh, shit Lawrence Olivier says uh, when he's in that movie <laughs> <laughs> What's that movie where he's a vaudevillian? He plays oh, a horrible character, you know, with the big loud suit. It's not called vaudeville over there. You know what? I don't care what they call it over there. I don't have to know. This isn't a test. Jesus. Uh, but, yeah, show business, I, you know, I'm fascinated by show business. I'm fascinated by comedy, teams, by sketch comedian, sketch troops. It's what I wanted to do growing up, but I didn't have the, the, the stones to actually present myself to an audience, and that's why... 
I, uh, I mean, I always loved comics. It wasn't like I said, oh, you know, I can never get on a stage. I have terrible flop sweat. Um, you know, I, I can't look at an audience uh, without freaking out. I'll, I'll go into, I'll hide behind comics and uh, an animation. I mean, I, you know, it wasn't like I just went, what's good? And I threw a dart and it didn't hit puppetry or balloon animal. I don't know what the hell. But um, I watched a lot of television as a kid, and I paid way too much attention to show business uh, growing up. You know, watched all the talk shows, watched all the old sitcoms that were on till six in the morning. I had my own TV, and I was an insomnia. So I, uh, you know, I love the Marx Brothers and uh, uh, Laurel and Hardy and Buster Keaton, and uh, you know. I liked Woody Allen. Uh, I loved uh, Your Show of Shows, and Kovacs was on PBS. I just ate that stuff up. I liked the British stuff that came over when I was a kid. Python, The Goodies, uh, Dave Allen. You know, I mm -hmm. just ate that crap up, and uh, it all—it's it's in my comics somewhere. At least my humor comics. And uh, nowadays, I listen to a lot of old radio while I'm while I'm drawing, so I'm kind of back absorbing. Uh, a lot of repetitive bad comedy. <laughs> but, you know, I like comedy albums. I, I like novelty records. I just, I'm fascinated by, uh, yeah, I loved SCTV. I still do. Uh, I loved that Saturday Night Live when it came out. I, I don't really care about it anymore. But, I mean, SCTV murders me. I, I loved. Uh, Blow it up good. Blow it up real good. You know, as I think, yeah, that was an okay one. I, I just love the way that they would weave. I love the. I, the thing that I, I I think I've taken from SCTV, knowingly or unknowingly, is is how much more can we put into onto this joke? If you, you know, if it was if the joke was like a sandwich or a plate, how much can we put on it till we break it? That they would put Star Trek and Chekhov, but they would take it was you know it was a lot like stuff Kurtzman and Elder were doing with you know if they made a joke about two things, they wouldn't just j make a joke about one and then put dressing from the second. Uh, I'm not explaining this very well, but I mean, you've you've watched SCTV. I'm Canadian. I, I that doesn't mean you have to <laughs> you know, watch it. You know, I don't. Uh, it was very much present. I don't watch. I don't watch football or basketball. You know? It was very much present uh, when I was growing up. I love the idea that it was it was um, it was like what are they Matryoshka Matryoshka dolls, the Russian dolls? It was that you had. They were a, it was a, a fictional television show. Uh, a fiction, a TV show about a fictional TV station, and they would fit all the fake TV shows in there, plus fake news, plus then go back behind the scenes and have all the characters interact, and they would parody everything, as you know. But what it is, they wouldn't just do a Star Trek parody; they would put Chekhov, Anton Chekhov, in there, and that's an obvious joke, perhaps. But they put jokes about Chekhov's plays in there. They didn't just stop with the bad pun. Yeah, and then they would throw several things together. the the, uh, the 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 parody of Andy Griffith's show had Floyd the Barber, but they had Fred Trav. They had an, the Dave Thomas did Fred Travelina, the terrible comedian impersonator, doing Floyd the Barber, which added weird levels to the whole thing. And I love that they would layer and layer and layer when they did the video parodies of of early MTV type videos, and then they had they did it right though they they had really weird pop culture references old and new plus character, plus plot, plus structure plus they didn't care if some of the stuff they did wasn't exactly funny but strange and building to a slow burn I love, it's my favorite one of my favorite shows and did I, you ever 
get into Kids in the Hall? No, I never did. I watched. I saw the movie, which I thought had some good bits in it, and I've seen episodes and I liked bits from it, but I, I wanted to kind of punch four fifths or five sixths of those guys <laughs> in the face repeatedly <laughs> with, with a cheese grater or a hammer or something. Something about them really turned me off. I don't know what it is, um, but I, I really kind of like stopped paying attention to modern comedy cold mm-hmm. sometime in the. Uh, late 90s or something. I got sick of looking at brick walls and comedians talking about Gilligan's Island and rehashing the plots of stuff and people nodding their head and laughing and it, it wasn't humor, it was just crap your friends say at the diner and they're funnier and I just kind of got tired of comedy. I don't know who's funny anymore. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not the arbiter of funny. You know, I'm not saying it's not, it's on comedy. It's comedy's fault. I just somewhere like uh, a, a gasket broke, and I just I can't can't watch comedy shows or watch stand up um, at all. What about things like uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the stuff like Louis C.K.'s been doing? I don't even know who that is. Okay, I've seen the name, but I, uh, I'm not proud of this. You believe me? This is why I can't get any work at Mad. I do drawings for them, but I can't write anything for them because all my references are like you know. For you know, forty years old. I'm doing you know. Paul Freeze walks into a bar, and Marvin Kaplan says, "It's you know." Do you know who those two guys were? Do you know Marvin Mark Kaplan, Kaplan sounds familiar. See, I shouldn't be telling jokes about these people. They do not get you work. <laughs> it, it reminds me of when I was a kid, and uh, I would read Mad Magazine, and it would be these kind of references that would take me some time to figure out. Well, they didn't do a lot of Canadian jokes, did they? No, but I'm, you know, a pretty worldly. You're old. Vancouver. Yes, I don't... <laughs> not worldly. That sounds I'm glad so you're not a virgin anymore. That's terrific. <laughs> but that's not what this show is about, Robin. Maybe we should go to another caller. But uh, I. Oh, uh, I'm not doing callers again. I'm, oh, well, that's. I don't think we did callers when we. I would love no. to do that. Oh, would I? Oh, love... I did it. I did it once recently, and uh, most of it was good. But the first question that someone asked. Uh, was very awkward, and we had uh, a couple minutes of just silence almost. That's great. You can get an Adult Swim show. <laughs> right? Oh. Insert silence. Pregnant pause. Uncomfortable beat. That's the names of the shows, I think. Um, you mentioned Will Elder. Well, um, Louis C.K., he's a comedian, right? Yeah. It's not a perfume, or it's not a men's cologne. No. Uh, you were going to ask me something about him. Uh, I was just asking it because I don't know. I find he kind of stands out from the rest of the pack for modern comedy. Right. I'll look in. I mean, you know, I'm not. I don't have cable. That's one. That that's you know that was one yeah. thing. We just got net. We haven't had cable in about eight years. I haven't been to a movie in a in a theater in about nine years. Uh, these weren't necessarily conscious choices. They just sort of happened. I and just you know what. It's got, okay. I got. I know. I apologize to the entertainment industry. But, uh, Somewhere only... there's a gaffer crying a little. Good. Good. The gaffer. Isn't that, is not that a new uh, Grant Morrison villain for uh, Batman? Um, for Batman? So, Will Alder, you oh. mentioned Ooh. earlier. Ooh. Sorry. Did I stop? <laughs> One of the, the god of comics or whatever the hell. Sorry. No, actually, I just I, I'm in a in a kind of place right now where I don't even give any of those guys any of attention. I don't. Uh, I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know. I have a really. I'm having a really hard. I'll be really blunt. Like the especially Grant Morrison, I have a really hard time with right now because, at a time I really enjoyed his work, but then he had this book that came out recently That's where he basically. The uh, book. Yeah, the one where he's like, "Oh, Siegel and Schuster." Ah. Yeah, I thought and that was his enough. hands. I thought that was uh, not a good dodge, but you know, if he says so, he it, it is so. I, I, to me, something like Super Gods comes off like um, a very large uh, essay on why what I do is important. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, I like superhero stuff, you know? I think it's fun. Um, yeah, you want to start throwing in that there are a pantheon of modern myths and all that shit. If that yeah. makes it happy, fine. But, you know, I don't want to read them sitting around talking and crying. Just have them be modern pantheons of guys beating the crap out of other guys. Maybe I'll read your books. I don't think you ever saw Hercules crying. Just saying. Probably, probably. You know, maybe it was when he was in the stables, but that he could explain that away. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'd cry if I was mucking out mythic shit. Right? <laughs> oh, there's a lot of mythic shit in here. <laughs> you know, he could put, you know, that that's that stinks. No pun intended. <laughs> Oh, that was horrible. Um, well, this is why I'm not getting. This is why nobody's. That that pun was like a crime. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I you know puns are not funny. I but I do them anyway. What can I tell you? That's okay. I have a friend whose comic is basically nothing but puns. What's it called? King City. Oh, I've heard. Is that Brandon Graham? Yeah. Okay. I see. I pay attention to comics. This is the funny thing. I I don't know who. I've only read who Louis C.K. is. I don't, um, and I'm not hitting that over the head. I'm not saying I, I hate when people think that like, oh, I don't know about anything. It's, I'm so cool. I don't know a Lady Gaga. I don't know a Lady Gaga song, but I do know who she is. It's it's just because, you know what I mean? I'm older. Or I I just is there a reason for me to go track down Lady Gaga songs? I'd rather go listen to stuff. There's so many songs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um and there's so much entertainment out there and it's funny because it's like people I'll get into a conversation and somebody's like well, you don't know oh what about this and I'm like I haven't I I haven't not seen a movie I've seen maybe like ten modern films in the last six years uh, on Netflix and that's in the last year I think and and I'm enjoy you know I'm enjoying watching movies again uh, it's not like I hate everything but um I don't know these they, you know these points of reference I don't know that I did not know that there was a new uh Planet of the Apes movie coming out what Rise of the Apes right and I was a big fan of that that crap I mean and I, I and I find it you know I love all that ape crap you know I mean except for the remake that what's his face did the uh, the gloomy Tim kid. Burton right right the the woe is me kid yeah yeah, yeah 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 there's always a kid in one of his there's always somebody in one of his movies who's Tim Burton Poor Tim Burton. Oh my! <laughs> I'm so sorry for Tim Burton. You know, get over it. You know, there's always the mascara kid with the hair fucked up, and nobody gets them. Maybe they'll grow up to be multimillionaires who are, you know, art directors posing as directors too. But anyway, uh, I didn't know the ape thing came out until the day it came out. And my uh, Scott Alley, my editor on uh, on my Dark Horse stuff, he couldn't. He thought I was kidding. He's and like, they did. They did the Planet of the Apes comics. No, they didn't. Yeah, Dark, Dark Horse. Or, I think that was uh, IDW or Boom or Dynamite. Oh, I'm thinking the previous yeah. run, the 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 Tim Burton ones. Never mind. It was comics based on those. Yeah. 
that's kind of good because you can't. It's hard to bust up a DVD, but you could rip up a comic really good. Very satisfying. I used to buy I'm... my. Mike Grell's Green Arrow books uh, every month at the shop and rip them up in front of the uh, uh, in front of the readers, which is a dickish thing to do, but you know, that's I'm okay. Probably, yeah, and this was only last. At week. least he didn't show up to a convention dressed in complete uh, First Nations garb. Is this something you did? No. Didn't Mike Grell do that when he had Shaman's Tears come out? I believe Wendy Peeney did that. Well, that was uh, Red Sonia. Hey, cosplay jokes. I know. Robin, <laughs> you know the joke. I just bad. want to make sure everyone else oh, knows about the Wendy Peeney. Just say it's it sucked. <laughs> silly person. I know she was Red Sonia. This picture's a Trina Robbins with Forrest J. Ackerman. She has no clothes on. It's in, what a planet. I'm not saying I want to go back to the good old days. I'm just saying I want royalties again. That's all I'm saying, Robin. Bring back the royalties for the little people. Okay, the workaday schmucks like myself. And they don't have to call themselves schmucks to be in this group. Bring back our royalties, please. People buy more comics. Yeah, but everybody gets them free, I think, now who wants them. <laughs> I feel like everybody who wanted my book got it comped to them. I I bought it. I actually bought it. Did you now? Yeah, I was joking about how uh, this massive book, and it's the same price as the... Uh, and same size as the Monero book, but like a third the price. Well, the Monero book... Uh has a heavier uh, paper stock for people to be able to wipe off. Would the heavier one be... E oh, I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to stop myself. Um, so I was going to ask you about Will Elder and kind of the first time you saw his work and kind of how that affected you as a uh, as a cartoonist or wanting to be a cartoonist. I, you know, we could talk... You know, that's what we should have done. We should have just talked about Will Elder for... How long are we going to talk here? We're going to talk for five hours? <laughs> Uh, what's your record with Spurgeon? Didn't you say it was oh, eight? Yeah, I think that was like 13 hours. Sarah just mentioned that the other day. She came down the stairs like around dawn and we were still there. I mean, true, Tom was asleep from like, half of it. Tom just lit out. He just said, no, you keep talking. You keep, yeah, it was like, you know, I, I was like at my own Howard Hawks movie. It was just, it was like six of me, you know? My old boss at the the bar that I worked at, the punk bar I worked at, he said I said he he came around the corner and it was I was yelling at something and he said oh I should have known it was you you sound like a fist fight, which uh, I I took to be a compliment. Uh, that was my favorite compliment. It wasn't I, supposed I to be like funny. That. I just liked it. Yeah. And when Fabian Nicieza used to say that I was the hardest working unknown person in comics, and uh, now I'm not the hardest. I'm not I'm just a regular avoiding work. Uh, kind of known guy or something thing so uh elder uh he's 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 in my i guess he's in my top you know he's in he's up there if if somebody said you could have an original piece by uh anybody in the industry you know make a list uh he'd be on that list he'd be probably top five you know with kirby and a couple and a couple other people and uh i just loved i you know you ask me specifically, otherwise I'll just blather. I love I love the man. I wish I knew him. I met him. I had a 15-minute conversation with him at San Diego in 2000, and it is uh, one of the nicest, sweetest memories I will ever have, probably. Was uh, that the year when they had all the mad guys there? Yes. At once? Yes. It was like, it was, I, I thought it was almost magical. You could almost feel the guys, that there was some energy in the room. Maybe... Maybe also sleep dep deprivation or car carbon monoxide was getting into my hotel room. You know, uh, it was a new hotel; it wasn't fully built. 
But uh, I tracked them. I tracked them all down by Cayman, uh, and uh, got their autographs because I am. A, I I can be an autograph hound, um, and uh, it, he's. I, I normally do not approach people to talk to them. Talk to them. Uh, because I get very, very nervous and I start to talk the way that I've been talking to you for the last 30, 40 minutes. Um, and, um, but it was, it was great. And I think I was on my best behavior. I let him talk. <laughs> I was talking to him and his wife. I basically, I just wanted to tell him how much his work meant to me and how much I loved his work and that he was one of my, uh, you know, favorites and that, uh, I've been reading his stuff since the mad super specials of the seventies when they were, uh, including, Facsimiles of the comics from the fifties. Mm. I had. I don't think I knew who he was then. I don't think they did sign their work, and I was really into the artist in Mad. But for some reason, I could have told you probably back in seventy four or whenever. If you asked me who's a Mad artist, I would have said George Woodbridge, uh, Jack uh, Rickard, um, Dave Berg. I would, you know, Antonio Prohias, uh, Sergio, Don Martin. You know, I wouldn't. You know, Paul Peter Porges. I forget how to. Say his name, sorry. Uh, but I would not have thought of the mad comic book guys. I really didn't know who Kurtzman or Elder or I knew who Wood was because he was kicking around Marvel here and there. Inking, you know, he inked that Daredevil, that really well known Daredevil comic where Daredevil kept saying, get, getting his ass handed him by Sub, Submariner. You know, and it was yeah. like, it was, which was a revelatory comic where the guy who has the logo got stomped. He got a curb job three times in that book. You know, he loses. You know that's awesome. I I always like that. Anyway, um, Elder. Yeah, I loved his detail. Some of the stories that Elder, that I thought Elder did going back, turned out to be by Wood. I thought he did the, uh, I thought he did the um, Batman parody, and I thought he did the Superman parody. The Super uh, Duper Man. Right, which he didn't. Um, but he did the stuff that I liked the best. Wood was my second favorite. But Elder was, first of all, it was very Jewish. Too Jewish, as like Mel Brooks would say. Uh, it was, I mean, I was recognizing the Yiddishisms in there. My, I grew up, some of those Mad Magazines I was reading, I was on a uh, Jewish um, bungalow colony in Monticello, uh, New York, uh, that my grandparents ran and had built. And uh, so I didn't know Yiddish. I wish I did, because uh, I think it's just a hilarious, endearing language, you know. Um, uh, it describes everything like it's slapping paint on it or, and just making a mess. Uh, and, uh, you know, the gefilte fish, the, 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 you know, everything. The, the, and it was very New York, and, I, and I'm from New York and grew up in New York. I'm not in New York anymore. I'm in Staten Island. <laughs> That's not terrible. That's not too terrible, Joe. But it's true. And um, Ping Pong, you know? Ping Pong just killed me. I love giant monsters, and I just... Now, here's the thing. Uh, what I was trying to say about SCTV and failed earlier, uh, I'll try to say more succinctly here with Elder and Kurtzman, where it was making fun of King Kong, but it wasn't, ju it, it wasn't just, you know, here's a bunch of stupid King Kong scenes done dumb... There's jokes about Hollywood. There's jokes about girls. There's jokes. There's sublimated sex jokes, or you know, or not not jokes about sublimated sex, but sex jokes buried 
uh, in the text so kids don't get in too much trouble. And uh, but then there'd be these vi all the visual jokes that Elder was putting in there. Uh, you know the Yiddishism, the Yiddish, the Yiddish talk, <laughs> the, the New York stuff, the slapstick, the show business, the signs, the 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 puns, uh, the malapropisms. The uh, uh, there's a scene I, I love in that thing where they're being chased by dinosaurs over a sequence of three panels. And in the third panel, I don't even know if people noticed it on the first reading. One of the dinosaurs is is, is a pair of pliers. It was <laughs> the visual pattern. You know, it was the pattern rendering of the dinosaurs looked that way. It's the set of jaws. Bill El Will Elder just was like, yeah, I'll throw this in here. I, ca I catch things when I read Ping Pong that I didn't catch. You know, I have the Mad Library, the, the Russ Cochran, I, and I, I had no idea this guy's arm goes through another guy's mouth or eyeballs pop out. Or It's just, you know, the chicken fat's been spoken about by plenty of people, you know, in the industry. Uh more eloquently than than I can because I just get giddy. I just get you know goop. I mean, I just I I I am smiling right now and I'm in a good mood because I just love Bill Elder. I love Kurtzman. He's a more problematic person to deal with uh, uh, as far as his history and legacy and and certain things. I'm kind of uh, always battling how I feel about Kurtzman because I try not to let some of the personal stuff bother you with the work. I mean, the work is fabulous. And I always thought it was a shame that him and Elder kind of got shackled or shackled themselves to little Annie Fanny because it's just not very funny. Um, and it even looks weird because everything looks rubberized and strange. There's some beautiful rendering in there, some beautiful work. It's hard to read. Mm. Uh, it was a real disappointment to finally get those Dark Horse books. And, I mean, I will keep them forever for what they are and the artwork and everything. And I mean, who's in there? Davis is in there. And is, I think Reed Crandall. Yeah, tremendous people coming. I, I think I, I don't know. Is Frazetta dabbling in there? But it's I'm sure there's a little Frazetta. In yeah, there, so. I mean it's crazy, but it's I'm glad it paid well, and I'm really happy they were super successful and they had a steady gig because I'm I'm 47 years old and I'm really thinking hard about what it would be like to have a steady gig right now. But uh, you know, people really don't talk about that stuff, and even with Humbug being out, uh, I found Humbug to be really disappointing. Uh, have you read it, the Humbug material? I've flipped through a bit of it, but it, it it's kind of like it's kind of like a hodgepodge of certain stuff looks amazing, and other stuff just isn't it grabbing look, me. It looks amazing. It's got Roth in there. Alan Roth is fantastic. Everybody in there is fantastic, and I feel to me they're just trying too hard. They're trying too hard to be a smarter magazine, and I think that uh, in some ways it would have been like soupy sales trying to do spy magazine or something some you know what i mean the the, yeah. the chicken fat was funny as hell and uh i didn't laugh a lot looking through humbug and mad is dated too it's not just the dated stuff and a lot of the jokes in mad aren't the the greatest but the energy the commitment the visuals the it's like I didn't dislike Humbug because I went, oh, this isn't like straight comics. You know, I'm not a baby anymore about that stuff. But I really was, I was like, ooh, you know, if I was writing a review of this, it'd be like, you know, it wouldn't be bah humbug, but it'd be like, eh, humbug. It wasn't, everybody talked about it before it came out, you know? And then yeah. it came out. And, well, it had a mythical. And then nobody talked about it, really. I mean, there's a lot of books out there now, but I was really surprised to see how it kind of radio silence kicked in on that one. I, I think everybody should own it, but. I you know I don't go to it much. It's funny like the kind of 
I don't want to say revisionist history, but I'm almost going there, is, like, I grew up and I loved Mad, I love the Feldstein Mads, and there's this, like, certain rejection of them now, as people, like, veer towards the, the Kurtzman work. Um, yeah. It's like I, an in- institutionalized, almost academic acknowledgement of humor. But it's also Matt is such a weird beast, you know. And like, and being a being, I, I mean, I feel really weird saying that I can say I'm a usual gang of idiots junior member these days because I've done work for them over the past five years, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, like I don't even think about that because it's such a weird thing. It's like I kind of feel like Carol Cleveland in, in Python in a way, you know. I'm sort of, I, I'm in it, but I'm not really in it. That's how I feel about it. <laughs> Because there's an art show, uh, there's an art show being done in um, San Francisco uh, at the Cartoon Art Museum, uh, and they're doing a Mad show, and they asked me to send a piece, and I felt just so like I almost didn't do it, because I'm like it's gonna, I, but then I realized I'm not gonna go to the show, I'm not gonna have to see it, because it's it, all that stuff on the wall is just gonna be amazing. They're gonna, they have, they're gonna have Elder Pages, Davis Pages. Mingo, Freeze, uh, every, every, you know what I mean? Name them all. And then this dumb thing I did. Uh, so I just sent it. You know, that's how I know my therapy is working a little bit. I actually sent it. I'm bitching about it, but I sent it. And I'm like, I should be in there. I was invited. I deserve to be in there. I don't have to compare myself to Elder. I don't have to look at it. But uh, it, it's just weird. Mad is just such a strange thing. Mad is like a lot of it's like music or something it's a lot of people have their favorite era of mad and mm-hmm. it's usually when they grew up reading it yeah uh comic scholars the type who will go back and it's you know it's like they're you know like record collectors they'll go through the stacks uh they pick up on the greatness of kurtzman elder et al and uh and the ec i mean i'm a ugc freak um i don't i try not to put if if I was if I had to make that hundred list of the best comics in the world that the journal or whoever made, um, I don't know how I would overestimate or under. I would try not to overestimate the mad material, and at the same time not try to chop its legs off just because there's a lot of people who are like, you know, it's genre, it's pulp, it's ridiculous, it's based on radio scripts, it rips the, you know, it yes, it is what it is, and it's also hard to defend it and make it something greater than it is by saying, well, it was much better than all the crap around it. You know, mm-hmm. that's not a great way to assess a, a piece of work or a text, I think. But it, it just hits a sweet spot of craft and fun and an attempt to do something that wasn't being done, a, ser- an, an, a, a seriousness, a purpose. Um, and they just had some, I mean, just fucking unbelievable people working on that stuff. So, I mean, I can understand if somebody's not a fan. I think it was Tom Devlin who really, like, you know, did an issue with the journal and he just, like, you know, took took threw knives at it and I understand that but I, I, I didn't agree but I can understand it but yeah but Devlin almost feels like iconoclastic sometimes um, you know who knows I mean it's fun to go after sacred cows you know mm-hmm. uh, or say sacred chickens they're easy to kill I guess or something. I don't know sacred snails <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think I can understand believe me I think you can you, you could agree whether you agree with Tom Devlin or whoever you can probably you sit there in your office or at your table and you are and you you get on the computer and you go, oh Jesus Christ, they're talking about Watchmen again, or they're talking about Dark Knight again, or oh you know for some people they probably hate hearing about Love and Rockets, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, with the recent Eisner thing, there's a lot of people who are just going out there and going, you know, who cares about Love and Rockets? They don't have their own bubblegum cards, you know, like Lucy said in Peanuts. You know, <laughs> you know, did uh, did Beethoven ever have his own uh, bubblegum card? How could he be so great? You know, I, I don't know anything about these guys. It's just some stupid crap all these, you know, liberal East Coast, West Coast cartoonists are into. You know, don't they realize the greatness of... I don't know, Deadpool doing something this year or something. But, I mean, you can get sick of anything, you know? Yeah. We all have, I mean, I, I, Art Spiegelman is somebody who sometimes I just, you know, I'm like, I'm, I don't want to hear anymore. I, I, do respect, some great work, but okay, that's... Can't we talk yeah. about somebody else? I mean, that doesn't really happen anymore, but there was a period for a couple of years where it just felt like that was all the major media outlets could do is find Art Spiegelman, you know? Um, it was like he had, there was like a legion of robot Art Spiegelman's coming out of a tree, like in the old Superman books, and he was sending them off to every interview all across the country. I'm sending one to France. I, I made the mechanism works so that they can inhale and exhale smoke. Uh, they have the same vests, you know, things like <laughs> they spell comics with an X. They get all the questions right. They can pronounce my wife's name, you know. So, the you know, and I, you know, I like, and I like, you know, he's on my, you know, what I mean, he's to me, he's on, he gets on the when worlds collide rocket you know yeah if i think everybody has that crazy you know if you had to cleave off i'd put a lot of superhero guys on there too i mean people would think i wouldn't but getting back to this question and i'm sorry this is the way that i talk um the feldstein era is just um not hip to a lot of people for mm-hmm. i think partially because it's not pure comics it went to that magazine format and started to have you know uh articles and and you know wacky pack type packages type of you know, articles and shots of pop culture. It, it was the most successful era of the of the magazine. It's the one that everybody knows, really. Yeah. And there was fantastic work in there. I mean, I will always be a huge Don Martin, Martin fan. You know? And and Spy versus Spy. Yeah. And uh, all those guys. I I mean, that fundamental bricks of my humor and my cartooning is from that whole is from all of Mad, up until. I guess when I stopped reading Mad in the seventies. There's something amazing about Don Martin's work where he can really distill it down to this very minimal thing, and it's hilarious. Just like one simple gag. Yeah, but did you ever read? Did you? The thing that's amazing. What I love about Don Martin is he's one. He's one of those irreplaceable kind of guys. Mm-hmm. You know, you you know, like because and there weren't that ma- there didn't seem to be as many of those kinds of guys back then. Nowadays, there's many more. You know, you you pull. X out of a certain project, that project is dead. You know, you you, you pull, uh, you know, name you, the, the Hernandez brothers. Uh, I'm I'm blanking it. Charles Burns. You know, you, that project is dead. If you pull somebody out of a super, you know, a superhero book, that superhero book will most likely go on, or a legacy newspaper strip. They'll go on like a zombie. You know, if you, Don Martin was the kind of guy where you know, they could always fill that page. They've there are new people doing Spy versus Spy. Um, they, they, you could, you almost feel like somebody could do Dave Berg, maybe not as well, but Don Martin was just so I don't know, how to, fucking weird. <laughs> he just drew. You just don't. How did you? How did he develop that human figure? Yeah. And that set of it's almost like a comedy routine. It's almost like you know, uh, uh, old radio guys or vaudevillians who would come out and say stupid things like you know joe penner who became famous for saying want to buy a duck and that's in comics that's having people whose 
fingers and toes go up, point up, and have noses the sizes of kielbasa and look like piles of potatoes in sacks. And he, the sound effects, you know? I mean, it, it, it was great. It was great stuff. I'm not saying anything uh, scholarly here, but I'm, I'm just I'm being enthusiastic right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you took Don Martin out of that slot and put, I mean, I always thought Duck uh, Duck Edwing or whatever his name was, who does some good stuff. I always thought of him trying hard to be kind of like Don Martin's replacement. And I just think that Don Martin was a singular lunatic on the page in much the same way somebody like Virgil Parch or uh, Basil Wolverton mm-hmm. or or you know where. Where Elder is a nut on the page, but these guys have an idiosyncratic style where you just look at it. I mean, I, you can tell Elder on the page, although he's a fantastic uh, mimic. But you look at uh, Basil Wolverton, and there's no mistaking it. Well, there's definitely, like, I was thinking, oh, you're talking about that, about the style and stuff. There's something very, I find, like, they <coughs> drank the same Kool Aid as kids, like Don Martin and Basil Wolverton. Like, there's something in there that's just, like, Something in their heads is doing something different than anyone else. I loved. Uh, Cap- you ever read the Captain Klutz books that uh, Don Martin did? No. It was superhero parodies, and I I was enjoying them more than superhero books. I would love to. I've never read the second trade paperback, but uh, it was just dumb Don Martin stuff. I'm sure if I read a lot of it now, I would be like, okay, I I get why I got I went nuts and read this twelve times a day as a kid. But I mean, I, he set gags up really well. He used sound effects incredibly well to, to uh, work a sequence out, so you would follow it, uh, almost like a, almost in a manga style way, you know, Lone Wolf and Cub. You know, you get the sound of somebody touching something or wind over three or four panels, and helps set the scene or move something forward. And it's usually badass. Uh, whereas with Don Martin, it's you know, involves people named Gorgonzola, the living spider, or something, and Ringo Phonebone and stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the cadence of his stupid words were pretty good. I mean, uh, it was it, that's great comics. That's just great, crazy comics. That's something we're missing. We are really, you know, th- there's Johnny Ryan. There's, there is a group of people doing crazy-ass comics. There's people doing funny comics. Kate Beaton kills me. Some of her comics really are kind of crazy. Uh, the ones where she has those little teen detective people really, really knock me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're coming from a different place than the, the literary uh, uh, and the Edward Gorey stuff and whatnot. But we, you know, comics used to be so much more throwaway, and there's a lot of everything's so precious now. You know, the formats of the books are beautifully designed. We've got line in. We've got line. You know, uh, books come with their own bookmarkers and all this stuff. Everybody's really kind of uptight, and there are very few people just going crazy, and just whether it's superheroes or it's autobio. I mean, I, I'm missing people off my radar so obviously people are if anyone's listening to this all 12 people are probably going well what about this person or what about that per-? you know so I, I I could be way off the mark but in the direct market do you know what I'm saying yeah, yeah. we are well, even Kate Beaton isn't direct market until right fairly recently. well yeah that's why she, she and the funny thing is so but her following is hundredfold over the direct yeah market. well that's why she didn't get nominated for an Eisner in my opinion uh, I'm not. No, I'm not. That's not a joke. I mean, I I fully expected her to be nominated and win that category, mm-hmm. uh, because I, for me, for all intents and purposes, and nothing personal against the other people in that category, uh, that's a phenomenal breakout book that 
I can't understand how one of the five judges didn't go, look, you got your this, and I now get to put this in. And they, okay, that not one of them did that, and then two other people nodded and went, yeah, you know, that was a really important book. I kept seeing it on everything, you know. It's in what? It's fifth printing. It's, 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 she, it, her work on that got her in the New Yorker. It's, even if you don't like it, I think everybody kind of could understand why it would have been there. On top of that, lots of people like it. It's, it's so, all, well, it's, it seems like, copies. it's like the institution has this reluctance of kind of what is modern. Well, and... it could have just been an oversight. There's a lot, that, the, 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 the Eisner thing to some degree looks like a bit of a, baton, a comic book baton death march, you know? Yeah. Calum from Strange Adventures, that's a great shop. Yeah. Um, and, um, I forget, there's like two, Larry Martyr has to be. Well, a, Strange I, Adventures, that's the one from Halifax, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one that, like, she did her signing at. <laughs> Oh brother, I, I we've de we, you know we've we've I, we stopped in there on our honeymoon. Uh, we didn't know it was there, uh, yeah. And it was what a great shop. I almost bought, in fact, I almost bought a hardcover uh, copy of Goodman Beaver uh, there, but there was a tear on the back, and I was totally uptight about the one that I want. You know, I wanted a really nice copy to put away that because uh, the paperback I have is in pieces because I looked at it so much and. Uh, the uh, but yeah, I was surprised not to see her in there. I don't think it was. I, I'm not. A, I'm not implying honestly that it was a political. Oh, the direct market doesn't have much. You know, I really. You know, I, I don't think it's just a political, but I do think it's kind of um, a reflection of how fragmented comics tastes are, and how there's these certain institutional tastes. Sure. Well, that... also, yeah. How many copies of? Hark of Vagrant sold through the direct market compared to what's sold in bookstores and on Amazon. Mm -hmm. I mean, I doubt that it was carried in very many stores. No, because it came up from Drawn and Quarterly, who they're probably a lot of, you know... You and I could probably have a few beers and make a list and get real close after an hour of guessing what stores carry that book. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate because it's, like... It's like you, 20, 30 stores, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, the, the same stores that wouldn't carry Dork because of the name probably wouldn't carry it because it's well, the same publisher that put out paying for it <laughs> yeah really you think that might have... i don't know oh. and that wasn't on there either but i haven't read it so i can't say whether but i mean it certainly was an important book of the year that i would assume would have been considered but uh you know this was a weird year i mean they yeah. the eisners like to spread the judges seem to want to do nice work they obviously go in with an idea of who they'd like to see in there, and I'm sure I would do the same thing if I was a judge. If I was a judge this year, I would be going in there. Kate Beaton, I think she needs to be nominated for, for humor book and possibly some other stuff. Jaime Hernandez, give him everything, let's go home. I mean, I'm joking, but I mean, I loved seeing Woodring in there. Yeah. Uh, there's some terrific people in there. but uh, So it's not like they said, okay, no oddball people who still use a crow quill. Uh, and you know, have are, are old, or you know, there's, there's <laughs> great stuff in there, and who didn't work on Daredevil, you know, and that's not Mark knocking Mark Wade. I haven't read Daredevil, but I think he does, you know, if somebody said go read a Mar Marvel comic, I'd be picking up Daredevil, yeah, because I've read, you know, so he, he's I think he put solid stuff together, and the book looks good, but um, yeah, Jaime not getting in there for Love Bung was he wasn't in there last year for Brown Town. I just don't get it. I I almost wonder if. Is there somebody who's saying, you're not the boss of me, comics people on the websites. I don't have to do what you say. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we're wrong. 
Jaime, maybe Jaime stinks. What is it like? I mean, looking at Jaime's work. I'm totally changing topic. Please, um, the more questions you ask, the shorter I'll answer. You know, have I been good today? You've been fantastic. I'm having a lot of fun talking to you, Robin. I really appreciate it. I'm, 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 I'm better than I used to be. That's I, good to hear. I'm better, damn it. Since 2010, things have changed. Man, man. Um, I don't know. Looking what... at looking at Jaime. Um, as a cartoonist and just seeing where he's come from because you were into him really early on him and Veto I mean you were you had those uh, comic journal illustrations they had I, done I uh, I don't think I had any I had Amazing Heroes stuff I don't oh, think okay. I had um, I came into them for me I feel like I came into them late I'm jealous of people at my store that were picking it up from number one I resisted picking up Love and Rockets because it was in black and white and uh, which was stupid because I was a newspaper. But I gotta tell you know uh, I worked for Jim Hanley, off and on for six years at, his, at two of the stores. He he, uh, Jim Hanley's Universe, and the Fantastic Store. And at the Fantastic Store, he was carrying a full line. He always carried a full line from day one. And it was just a little hard for me to get into comics that didn't have superheroes or humor, you know, straight humor stuff. And um, I was reading some oddball stuff, but Love and Rockets just I thought it looked okay. But it didn't speak to me, and if I only had two bucks that day, I was gonna go buy, well, you know, a dollar night, whatever it was, a dollar twenty. What was it? A ten cents back then? <laughs> ten cents. <laughs> you know, Love and Rockets still at twelve cents. But uh, I re I resisted for nine issues, and then uh, Jim Higgins, one of the other guys working there, who was into it, they were, you know, you got, just read this. And Hanley was Hanley got me into a lot of things. He really opened up my eyes to a lot of different things going on in comics. Uh, he opened up old newspaper strips for me. I got my first Mad Library from there. Although I did know the Mad books, uh, I did know the EC books earlier from that Nostalgia Press hardcover. Have you ever seen that from the seventies? Uh, it's a it's an anthology taken from all the different uh, genre horror, adventure, war, uh, crime books, and they mm. called it like the Nostal EC Nostalgia Digest, something like that. I it's haven't seen that. Oversized hardcover book. I was 10 years old. My friend Mike Kemper lent it to me. It scared the shit out of me. It had shoe button eyes by Graham Ingalls, and one Graham Ingalls page could well, could knock you out, of, you know, into a nightmare for when you're 10 years old because it looked like a, a, a Graham Ingalls works looks like it was inked by tarantulas. You know, it's just <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? Do you know what I mean? People don't look at each other. Eyeballs are in the wrong directions. Everything's hairy. Bricks are hairy. Wine glasses are hairy. It's it's insane. But they had they had um just fantastic stuff. The Reed Crandall story about the guy who's handcuffed to the other guy and they're in the desert. Um, and um, the Jack Davis uh, foul play with the baseball, baseball team one, yeah. that tears a guy apart. So this yeah. book had been on my mind for many many years. The first thing I got when I worked for Hanley's was uh, the Tales from the Crypt box set. I was working two dollars in trade, two dollars cash. I saved it all up. I didn't have a car because I didn't like to drive till I was 19 because I was scared to. And I took this thing, put it up on my shoulders like the Iceman in an old movie, and I walked like a mile and a half home with it. I was the happiest goddamn 18-year-old on the planet. Anyway, I finally read Love and Rockets, sorry. And it blew me away. Blew me away. Blew, you know, this is it. This is what I like to say as an older, uh, as, an, as a, uh, years later down the road was that when it comes to comics, some of my biggest influences are um, Stanley and Jack. Well, I like Jack Kirby and Stanley. I usually put it. <laughs> Jack Kirby and Stanley showed me that anything you can imagine, you can put in a comic. 
And Kurtzman and Elder taught me that humor could be a weapon. Uh, and, and the Hernandez brothers taught me that your life can be your comic. Um, and they kind of put all three of that together. Mm-hmm. So I've got, you've got, you know, you've got the love, you've got the rockets, you've got Mexico, you've got family, you've got punk rock. Jesus. And, and you've got beautifully done stories. And sometimes they just mucked around and those were beautiful too. Um, those guys kill me. They just kill me. And uh, I'm like, it freaks me out that like if I do run into them and we're at a convention together that like we end up hanging out a little bit and it just, you know, I start to, you know, you know, I start cutting myself because I'm so happy. (laughs) (laughs) You're uh, only allowing yourself to be so happy. Uh, I, I, you know, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, but I just, I, I, re- I, I, I'm not close friends with them, um, um, I, en- you know, but I just, I, I think they're terrific people, and I envy their talent, and I'm glad to, I'm glad so much stuff's coming out because, uh, I just want to read it forever. It's to me, they're like, they're like, it's like two Frank Kings or something, you know, uh, but better. Uh, it's mm. their unfold. I mean, I, Jaime and Gilbert have created worlds in the way that Kirby could create worlds, um, but with so much more emotional depth. Not knocking Kirby, who's you know, you know, I love him, and uh, I just think they're uh, underappreciated in some ways. Uh, there was a, a couple of years ago. I don't know why on earth when they decided not to do Love and Rockets anymore, and they put out more work than ever over the next couple of years. Like everybody in comics had brain damage or something. Like I can't find their work anymore. They died. Yeah. Love and Rockets. The, I need the title to help me find their work. I I couldn't understand that, but it really happened. Yeah. I mean, their sales went through the shitter, and they were still doing the same characters. They were just doing them in a different format and taking a break from each other. I don't know. Maybe they were having fights like the the Kinks or something. I don't know. <laughs> they, they were not having fights, you know. But. Uh, I don't know. They're fantastic. How but, do in, uh, how do these re- like influences work for you in your own creative process? Like, do you look at how people draw things in my own what in my own creative process? Oh, what what's a what is that? I'm asking a deep question. Creative <laughs> process. I'll have to honestly. Next time we talk, we should. I'll go look that. I'll have Sarah look that up for me. <laughs> I don't, I don't, you know, I, I understand my creative process to a degree, but I feel like I have to write it down. I can't talk about it as much. I was writing, I was just looking over some notes. I'm doing a, I'm doing a talk at the SVA for uh, Joey Cavallari's writing class uh, Thursday. So I, I yanked out some old notes. I keep, I keep trying to put together some actual thoughts and notes on how I feel about comics. They've been seeping into my tweets lately. Uh, uh, which I didn't ex- mean to have happen, but um, I, I don't really take anyone's work out from the shelves or the boxes and say, okay, I'm going to look at this, and this is my approach. Um, it's, I guess, like something like SCTV or MAD, it's a ton of you know slightly under the skin amount of pop culture culture personal references points that 
come together and I start layering them in and uh, while I'm working sometimes I'll, I'll be thinking you know I don't draw like the people who influence me by and large there's certainly a little bit of elder I'd say in my work not a lot I mean he's he's an he's a superior draftsman and 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 technical artist I'm not I am not a very good artist um, I get by with energy I think and with trying very hard to put my personality over into my work and, and being honest uh, if I'm doing a superhero book it's an honest superhero book if I'm doing autobio I really try to be honest and if I'm not being honest I admit that I'm lying um, I think about the work I don't look at it is, I, does that make sense yeah I'll, I'll sit and think about Kirby and I'll be like I've got Kirby on my mind or I've got the way Stan Lee's crazy dialogue works and maybe I can apply it to this how about maybe a, the somberness of a Mignola panel here uh, it's not the way I work for every single panel every single page but uh, I was writing a sequence for a Beast of Burden script and I had finished up Love, uh, um, Lawn, Wolf and Cub and it influenced the script that I was working on um, to try to open a few things up and do a sequence that was a little uh, cinematic uh, and followed the same characters, same poses with changing expressions and with nature, uh, things from the natural world entering in the panels and whatnot, and a sense of wind, a sense of climate, a sense of time. I, I've never, I very rarely actually pull out a book and slap it on the drawing table and go, okay, Wallywood trees. Yeah. You know, uh, I just, I probably should do that more often, but uh, it's it's funny. I'm, I'm trying to, this, this sounds stupid. It's, I, it's kind of like I'm trying to get a an impression of the feeling I get from that work and put it across in my work, but I don't want to copy. I don't want to reference it directly. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah. Explain it to me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true though. I mean, I'll, like I'll pull out reference books. Like I just did um, when I did the Murder Family, I pulled out a bunch of Johnny Craig crime stories, and I never. I but they were there. Almost more like totems, than reference material. I wasn't going to them and going, okay, I need an interesting upshot. I would like. I don't do good noir lighting. Do I want to try some of that here? It was almost as if the um, I'm not a spiritual person, uh, uh, you know. There's no snake gods or, or you know, uh, hash creative sessions in my life. Uh, <laughs> but I think I pull the books down and they sit on the the stool and the uh, the files next to me, and I you know flip through them at night to read and just get kind of absorb it a little bit but it's yeah it's mostly I guess it's I guess it's closest to watching some movies to get a feel of mood and bring that into your script or to listen yeah. to music yeah uh, it's it's like there as a almost uh, a touch point it's not there as a Wallywood 22 panels selection <laughs> yeah. a little dartboard Which yeah it's not, it's not a silhouette you know I'm terrible at that stuff because you know what happens Sometimes I have a script usually. I work with a full script on the stuff that I feel needs a full script. Mm -hmm. uh, Eldingville, things like that, are generally scripted all the way out. Fun strips, milk and cheese, they're usually done as layouts on paper. I just jerk that stuff around, move it around, and improvise on the page. Try to have fun with it. Um, a lot of the times that I think that I'm going to, like, I'll pull all my notes out for a Beast of Burden script. 
I know where the thing is going and I'm afraid this is part of my OCD thing that I'm working on with my therapist and everything that I don't need to worry about all these things uh, I have the story in mind and I bulk it up with notes worrying that I need more notes you know what I'm saying I need to open, yeah. get more reference of, well, what if I forget this great piece of dialogue or what if I forget this scene as Sarah has always pointed out to me it doesn't matter there's no wrong decisions uh, when you're making up the story I mean, of course there's wrong decisions. If I'm, if I'm writing a story about Spider-Man and he joins the Avengers, well, that's a mistake, right? Because yeah. he's, lo he's a loner. <laughs> it's a bit of a joke. <laughs> but uh, it, well, if I'm writing a story about, uh, you know, Gasoline Alley and a spaceship lands and I don't explain it, that was kind of a weird choice. <laughs> but if I, want, if I want Skeezix to go left or right, go into the, to say his speech... It doesn't matter. No. Both work fine. And I get caught up on the stupid... I get caught up on lines of dialogue and switch them around. Really dumb stuff. But we could do a seven-hour show about my decision-making problems, which I am doing better with. Uh, but often I find that I don't even need the reference that I thought I needed or the influence being around me because, as I guess most cartoonists know, you just get into it. Yeah, um, you think if you're a nervous type like me, if you're anxious, you have that blank page. I, I fear the blank page, like Mort Meskin. You know, I sometimes feel like I need somebody to come in, like Mort Meskin had, and make some marks on paper so that the page is no longer blank, and you can start futzing with it. But once you start, once you like crack the lug nut, you're in it, and the next thing you know, it's twelve hours later. I have a. Uh... Brandon, he won't use expensive paper. He uses cheap paper as possible because he doesn't want to worry about ruining pricey paper. I understand that completely. Uh, uh, Stephen DiStefano and Kyle Baker, when I was uh, when we were doing Instant Piano, I'm still good friends with Stephen, uh, uh, who I think is an incredibly undervalued cartoonist. Um, animation has valued him very much, but uh, it's our loss, but whatever. He... Um, he 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 would do stuff on. He uh, gave me some of his original art of something that we did for DC, and I was like, oh, I'm stunned to see it was on typing paper, and it was yeah. tight. It was tight as hell. It was wonderful, and he, uh, Kyle did stuff that the art literally was fall, fell apart after. He, like it would get <laughs> shot, and the joke with Kyle, we would say, you know, folks, buy your original Kyle Baker art before it fades away because it's going to. Kyle is one of those guys who knows what things are going to reproduce as, and does you know he's old school. Like you know, I mean, when I see old art pages and there's paste up gum all over them and and lines all over them, I go crazy. I always wanted my originals to look as perfect as possible, which is idiotic. Yeah, because they're to make your story. If you want well, to sell them afterwards, somebody might like them anyway. They don't have to look pristine. You gotta make. There's a reason they made erasers on pencils because we all fuck up. Um, I fuck up more than most people, so I get a lot of erasers. And yeah, it's. It, I mean, I'm I'm trying. I'm using a brush pen a lot more these days. I still am a pen person, a 102 and a and a and a, uh, a 22, but I use it a lot more because sometimes it'll it just allows me to feel a little freer because I'm not good with a brush. I need to feel the point on the paper. Yeah. I snap pencils. I'm a very tense. I work very tensely. I do snap. I snap pencils and I snap pro quills. I go through a couple a job. It's something I'm just. Wow. I don't. I really wish I could stop doing that. Um, um, 
but yeah, um, I'll I'll be bearing down so hard on the paper that I just break the point over and over. That must really, yeah, the brush. I could see it being very, very different. Very I can't. Different. Yeah, I I remember as a kid George Perez talking about how he couldn't put a brush down because he had to feel, the, the, he had to feel the the tool on the paper. I am. Um, it's taken me a long time to come to grips with inking. I think I'm a much better inker for my of my own work now than I ever have been. That doesn't mean I think that I can go in there and, and I can go ink a Gene Colan page or or a Jaime Hernandez page or, or a, 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 a Burns page or, or anything. Mm. Um, but I can ink me now, you know, yeah. um, to a point where I actually don't hate inking. I think I might prefer inking to, in some ways to penciling because in penciling I just don't stop. Um, I, I start scribbling in all the dark areas still and I'm, I'm fighting that also. But um, I had to do this Eltingville page. I screwed up and I didn't have, uh, I thought I had two more weeks than I did doing the Eltingville uh, story for Dark Horse. And I was super stressed because I wanted to close my lines more than I normally do with an Eltingville strip. Eltingville breaks a lot of, uh, a lot of pens because I, when the characters get angry, I try to really give them a rough, uh, angry look. Yeah. I, tr I try to do a, a scratchy line on a lot of things. I try to do a rough line. I try. I, I really bear down. I usually bust two or three crow quills on those jobs. Like the, the Twilight Zone one, I, I destroyed those pages uh, as far as my art supplies went. And um, uh, I, I had to close the lines because it was being computer colored. And I felt, you know, I don't, there's a lot of detail in this story. And I'm like, I'm like, all I, I, on my back, I feel like I can see Sarah look, coming over and looking at the pages and going, you know, <laughs> yeah, I love you. And you know, she doesn't. She's not gonna. But I feel terrible because you know. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, wrecking. I've got you know, forty people dressed as zombies in a panel instead of five. I, I, I've, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just that's what I did, and so I'm worried about how I'm presenting this as a color job to my wife, and it was late, so I'm working the way I used to, which was I didn't have a script. I knew sequences script. I did the last page before I did the third page. It was, it was seat of the pants, and in some ways it was exhilarating because that's the way I used to make comics. That's how I did Bill and Ted's. That's how I did all my early dork stuff. I just I knew where I wanted to go. I never wrote scripts. You know, I was I was broken down in my mind, and I got my jokes in order, and then I improvised a little, and then the lettering is another draft. So it was really kind of cool, but it was you know. Not as much fun when I was 47 than when I was 27 and uh, uh, didn't have a child and a wife, you know? That was... Uh, I, I, uh, I saw Pete Bagg's method, and he, I was really surprised by just how... Is this the flipping with the tracing paper? Does he do... He, it's just there's a lot of steps. Doesn't he light steps. it? I think so, but it also, like, his script is very, oh, very fine-tuned. Um, like, he he goes through stages to get to this end product. Like, it's not... It's, it's it, I understand that it's and, and there are times where I've done several drafts, several layout drafts then because I'm I'm not sure how I'm choreographing certain things and I will go back and go back and I will throw panels out and you know yeah, I, I don't I don't think I've 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 never tried to hack a job ever. I've done bad work, but I've never said, Oh my god, I just have to get this done. And I'm not going to draw those cars in the background that I plan to draw. You know, uh, going by Toth and people like that and Jaime and people who boil down their, their styles, I probably shouldn't have drawn the cars because less is more sometimes. 
But I always felt that when you when you your script says more, you know, the way Kirby did it, and the, you know, uh, the way old movies did it. If an, if if the army rushes in, in a scene, I want to see the army. Yeah. And an elder is definitely why I'm I'm a I'm a detail goof like that. I want to see it's a mad 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 world on on that page if that's what's supposed to be there. The problem I have is that when I have two people talking, I then three put five people behind them. I don't know, that may come from Archie Comics, you know, every time everybody has a conversation in the middle of the street, somehow pretty girls keep walking in front of them in Archie Comics, you know, there's always some girl and it looks like she's looking off panel, like she's doing a sun, suntan commercial, and meanwhile they're talking about something inane in the background, about, you know, but I, you pick that stuff up and you throw all of it into your comics, and unfortunately when you throw everything into your comics and you don't edit, you've got everything in your comics. So you make you make messy comics. I organize the mess a lot better now. But uh, Pete, Pete uh, I I believe that he has a thing that he he draws a figure and then flips it on a light box and redraws it again on the back or on tracing paper because you know how drawings skew unless you're like brilliant. If you flip over something and look at it on a light box it will shift towards the left or towards the right and you'll notice that the ear, it, it looks freaky. The eye fools you, if the drawing's fairly decent, the eye fools you into thinking that it looks fine. But if you flip a lot of drawings, it starts to look like Graham Engels did it and a bunch of tarantulas inked it. And uh, I think he flips it like three or four times to get one drawing, which just, it makes you feel tired, you know? Yeah, I don't know if he's still doing that level of Precision, yeah, or stages, but it was still like very much. He he was showing me the project he's working on. There's a script. There's Is it a page. Thing he's doing. Yeah. 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 We did a little uh, one of the video interviews I was mentioning earlier. We did one with him, but like still it. in the editing phase that we hope to get up soon. Oh, I got you. Oh, good. I'll, I'll look forward to. That. I, have, I haven't seen him. I mean, I don't know him well, but I always enjoyed uh, uh, talking to him. And neat stuff was a uh, a big deal for me. I mean, hate was too, but neat stuff, uh, you know. Yeah. That hit first, and he was just putting stuff in there out of it. Was just seemed like stream of consciousness sometimes, and I love that. And I liked the when he was editing Weirdo. I I wanted to be in Weirdo so bad. I never sent them anything, but I just I like I, the the problem with me. This is the problem with my whole life. Is like, I'm I was the guy who wanted to be in Weirdo, and I wanted to be in Critters, and <laughs> I wanted and I wanted to be in like. Uh, you know, Marvel two in one, or if it was still, do you know what I'm saying? This is I, this is why I'm in hell because I wanted because of be, critters. I wanted to no because I wanted to be anything. I I wanted to do a horror thing. I wanted to do a, I wanted to do a Marvel comic. I wanted to do a DC comic. I wanted to do. I wanted to be in almost every anthology that was out there. I'd had an idea for, but you know, I would never have gotten into Weirdo, but. I I see everything and I go oh I would love to be in that I'd love to do and it's not check me out I'm in that it's that I really just like wanted to get it's like I, if I was a you know a 90s band on K record I, like, I want to be on every comp you know this comp is psychobilly I can do that I like psychobilly you know <laughs> you know what I mean but it's like well maybe you shouldn't be doing it even if you like it why don't you just do three things but I honestly I was like I would try to come up with ideas for everything and then never send them in but I, I really wanted to submit stuff to uh, the first thing I the only fanographics publication I, I did get into was 
centrifugal bumble puppy, which it was not a well done strip, but Joe Sacco liked something about it and he ran it, and that was uh, a very big deal to me. What, what was the comic it was in? Uh, it was the last issue of Centrifugal Bumble Puppy. I don't even know that series. I've never uh, heard of it. I think it ran eight issues. Uh, it was it was it was a mostly humor, you know. And like you know, when they were doing those magazine, it was like Prime Cuts and uh, New Stories. Was that what it was called? Yeah. They were putting out a whole bunch of stuff in the Love and Rockets format, and um, and uh, you know, that was some. Oh yeah, it's like that's the thing though. Where's our? You know, we don't have a Mike Dugan right now or Dougan, however you pronounce it. It was it was Christine Critter back then. It was just a lot of different styles all mixing up as one, and we still have that. But now it's a lot of different styles, and everybody's kind of doing their web comic. Yeah. Uh, even if they're together, even if there's a Pizza Island, you know, it's. I really like those uh, those the, getting an anthology and getting hit getting a Carol Lay story, and and a Carol Tyler story. And uh, you know, we even something like Deadline, which was serious pop comics and crazy, you know, punk rock stuff and you know, middle finger type, you know, music stuff. They had uh, was it Rachel Ball in there, and they had Hugo Tate by Nick Abadzis. There was just all this great stuff. Escape magazine, and you had Woodrow Phoenix, and and uh, it felt. Yeah. I think right now is is it is a better time for comics. In a lot of ways, as far as the medium goes, but I'm and I'm perfectly willing to say it's me, it's my age, and it's my tiredness, and it's not my scene anymore. Uh, but I would I found things much more exciting back then because you just didn't know what was coming next, and it felt like it was like it was like when rock and roll and 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 rap there was a synergy going on in the '80s, and in comics it really felt like the mainstream and the weirdos and even the art guys were gonna make baby comics together, if you know what I mean. They were going to mutate. Yeah. And it happened to a degree. I, yeah. But in I, pockets only, and then it went back to, we have weird genre comics influenced by that era, but we... I'm not saying I want to see Charles Burns or 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 name the guy, you know, you know, any, you know, Yo Swart doing Batman or anything. I don't, you know, I, everybody should do what they want. You know, there's I some, think there's... I think there's... Am I making sense there? I'm yeah, sorry. no, you are. You are making sense. I think like there's a couple of things. There's, there is definitely like, I don't want to say this, but, like comic encampments where there's groups of different styles all kind of grouped together. But then I see guys um, that kind of take on a lot of different things. Like uh, this guy uh, CF does this comic Power Masters, right, which right. is straight out of Art House, but you could tell he's reading this other kind of stuff too or like someone like Brian Chippendale who's super right. hosty but the guy loves his Avengers comics yeah it seems like half those guys though it's funny I can't relate to a lot of those guys not because of the work they're doing but their influences because I, I seem to be at the perfect age when I stopped watching cartoons and they started mm -hmm. so I'm, I, I can't I'm not saying it's these guys in particular I try to keep up with that stuff I'll I like. I'm perfectly honest. I like some of it. Some of it, I look at it. I turn it upside down. I do the old lady in an art museum thing. I'm like, I get the energy. I just don't know what I'm what I'm supposed to do with some of this, though. I, re you know, I yeah, I look at the picture box stuff and things like that, and I'm just like, I, he looks like he's having fun. I don't know, but it, but I, I'm lost. You know, I, you know, I can only get off on some of those things from a visual sense. 
but it, there seems to be a a 90s late you know this he-man and video games yeah and I'm a video game goof, but that was a period where I was totally not into it. There's just this 8-bit revolution stuff that I appreciate but don't get, you know? And uh, the bright colors and the, you know, and it kind of... Eh. I don't mind if something doesn't look like Big John Buscema, believe me, you know? I like a lot of their stuff. I mean, I don't know how you pronounce his name, but, but I mean, would you lump Ron Reg, Regi or Regi in there? Regi, yeah. That's one of the, I, I really love his stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 you know, I like a lot of stuff, but... Um, I I I've I've gotten to the point where I'd prefer to say I don't get this than to keep than this you know what I mean, than to say mm-hmm and not learn anything, because I that's why I try to read interviews with a lot of those you know Fort Thunder post Fort Thunder guys because I don't know what they're into I don't know where they're coming from, uh, they have a, a completely different approach and attack and interest um, by and large from the stuff that I grew up on. Um, as far as how they, you know, make their marks on paper and, and do their dialogue and non-narrative and narrative and especially color, especially because I don't know how to do anything for color, I find, I don't think anything that like that will ever seep into me. But I, I'm inter- you know, I'm I mean like you, I'm somebody who's interested in comics of all kinds. I don't understand. I like books of all kinds and movies of all kinds, and I th- most of the people I guess that you gravitate to are like that. I I it, to me it's I was, I was talking to Sarah about something similar. Earlier today, it's completely alien to me to be like, um, I only like one kind of thing, and that is it. I like, you know, I only like frat house comedies or something. <laughs> you know, I only like 80s teen coming of age things, and I am nuts about them. And if you give me another kind of movie, I, I shut down. I don't understand people who can't watch silent movies or foreign movies with subtitles. I, I mean, I understand it, but I don't. I don't get it. That there's yeah. no interest to try, um, or that if something is ca- cartoony and has superheroes, somehow that makes it not real. <laughs> but you know, if it's Jim Lee or something, that's totally happening. <laughs> that's. But it's modern mythology, Evan. It, oh, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, it, there's a lot of people who call themselves comic book fans, but if they, if DC went under. They'd they'd be done with the medium. And that, I don't I'm, know. I'm not, I don't know. See, there I see the people on Wednesday who have that stack because they, they don't know better. I I'm I'm a strong I, believer. I don't know if that. No, I see. I disagree. I don't think you can say that they don't know better. I don't think they want to know better. They like Batman, and this is not a knock against DC or superhero books, but there is a certain kind of reader that I dealt with as a retailer as a clerk and that I see in the local comic shop on Wednesday who's got a hundred dollars worth of books and these people consider themselves comics fans but if they stopped making the comics that they read that one genre they would never read another comic again I firmly believe that it would be as if you say I am a sports fan right and uh, it's, it's baseball I... disappeared and then you're like, oh, I guess I was a baseball fan. I mean, they're a superhero comic fan, you know? I mean, there are people who would quit sports if their local team disappeared. There's that kind of investment in it, and I don't understand that. I, I would, I, I'll read any kind of comic that I have on my lap if I'm on a flight, if you know what I mean. I mean, I'll always, I was uh, working at my friend's comic store, and uh, someone came in asking about, she wanted funny comics, and uh, 
I asked what kind, and she mentioned all like the Honan Vasquez stuff, and so I showed her a Johnny Ryan comic, and she looked at me like there was something wrong with me. And... Well, I mean that's you're always. And we had a we had a we had a a policy at Hanley's when we were working at Hanley's uh, for a while that if we recommended the comic to the to the customer and they didn't like it, they could return it. And we had a really good track record. Mm-hmm. The industry was smaller at the time. Okay, yeah. so you knew if Peter Bag and Alan Moore did a six pager in something, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So if a guy comes in, he's buying neat stuff. If he's buying hate or neat stuff, you go, "Oh, did you know Pete Bag's doing this?" Oh, I didn't know that. And you know, we throw. We only had like two returns uh, from a lot of recommended comics. I mean, you, you know, half the time we were selling it to the person based on their T-shirts, <laughs> based yeah. on the bands they were into or the movies on their shirts, and we did a good job of it. I mean, I really believe in hand selling, but that's a whole other conversation. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but I, I, you know, I really do believe that there are people. I mean, it's not a big point. It's not like a big deal. Uh, I'm stretching it, uh, but you know, it's just weird to me that. I mean, maybe there are people. I just feel like that if they stop making Will Ferrell movies, and and all those types of movies where it's you know snarky, ironic, something or other, comedies, you know, where people wake up in rooms and I don't know what they do yeah. these things. People who love those would go probably get bored and just say, "All right, fuck it. You want to go see the horror movie?" Yeah. You know, it's it's it's. I just think that I really do believe that. You know, I see you see people on message boards. I'm stupid. I look at them sometimes, and they're like, "I'm only down to three Marvel comics on my pull list, and if things continue, I'm out." Yeah. And I'd be like, "It's a medium." Check yeah. out if you really only like guys hitting each other, and that's cool. I like Hong Kong action flicks, and I like all sorts of dumb crap. I like Godzilla. Uh, there's always going to be something else you should, you probably would like, uh, but it's just so weird that the mindset that I mean, is there anybody running around going, you know, I only go to see 20th Century Fox movies, or uh, I I don't know. It's just strange to me. There are people that will only drink Coke, and it's kind of that same. Well, I'm, sh- I'm sure it's different, and somebody's like disagreeing, yeah. and I understand that because it's not a straightforward. Thing. I mean, it, it's like wrestling. You know, there are people who would never watch. I mean, maybe wrestling is a pretty good uh, uh, thing to. Comp- I mean, for sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Comparing comics to wrestling, but you mean like people that would be like strict WWF and others strict would be WCW? W- yeah. I only go to the indies, and I only go to WWF, and I watched every. You know, when I was, I'm still, I consider myself a fan, but I don't have cable, and I stopped watching. Uh, uh, back when Eddie Guerrero passed away and then the, the horror of Chris Benoit I was already starting to burn out on WWE's product and uh, and um, so I just stopped uh, and then it just became a habit then we got rid of cable so I mean I really miss my Lucha Libre I love that stuff I love Mexican wrestling and Japanese wrestling but I watched all of it I, mm-hmm. I watched I liked wrestling maybe you know the problem might be that I'm just a geek has too <laughs> many, and I just like too many things. That doesn't mean I'm a t- I'm a, I'm a Mr. Tastemaker or anything. Maybe I just have lousy taste and like everything, or it's my uh, my ADD and I just hop from westerns to Hong Kong to Godzilla movies to you know you know French movies. I mean, it's just I I I find I think there's something to like about almost everything. I want to know how different people make things and and communicate how do they sing 
you know, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm not the biggest Tuvan throat singing fan on earth, but I want to listen to it. I want to hear what it sounds like. It's pretty amazing. I don't <laughs> want to hear it too. You know, I, you know. Yeah. But it's still something fascinating about seeing how that well, just lump people, ends up in their just neck. Just what and... people can do. And, and in comics, I just don't know why you wouldn't want to see the breadth of what goes down on the pages and how the medium gets used. And you, yes, you can reject 90% of it. I think everybody would if they had it all flung at themselves. But I've been using the library to grab stuff that I would never buy. A lot of it's genre. Some of it's mainstream. And I'm not, I, I, to be honest, I'm not finding a hell of a lot of stuff I love from there, but um, it helps me keep on top of manga, which is great, because you know, you buy five manga series, and if you're living in an apartment in New York, you can't get into your own house. It's, it's, you know, yeah. 20th Century Boys just won't stop. You know? <laughs> uh, How many volumes is it supposed to be at the end? A thousand? Something? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Enough so that the guy who's... that uh, I never remember his name. Urasawa. Right, he can make a throne out of them. Enough volumes that he can actually make a throne. Um, I, uh, I'm up to volume nine. Volume ten and up has not been is not being carried by the local uh, library because Mayor Bloomberg uh, cut the funds, and he actually said, "I don't want none of that mongo. No more mongo in the libraries. That is not. <laughs> I don't think he gets it." Uh, yeah, I think that sounds very different and very inappropriate. Um, what have you been reading? I know we got to wrap this up. Eighty minutes. Uh, what have I been reading? I was reading your comics today. Um, we didn't I talk actually, about. That. We didn't. I don't like talking about my comics. So. I've actually been for someone who's not a manga guy. I actually picked up some manga recently. At, How can you not be a manga okay. guy? Wow, that was terrifying. Yeah. Okay. I'm okay. Uh, I picked up this one that I really enjoyed. Uh, I think it's called Bakuni Young or Bakuni Young. B a k u n e, right? Yeah. I have. I don't know anything about it. Is it? It's crazy. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's what I like about all of manga. Is that is the is the outrageousness of some of it? I can't think. There's a word that I apply to it sometimes that American comics attempt to do what manga does a lot, but it usually comes out like Mark Millar. Uh, it comes yeah. out. It comes out as a guy, and I'm sure it happens in Japan too. I'm sure that there's guys sitting down with their editor and going, "How can we do so? You know, we got. How can really, we sell this? Yeah, or or just you know, we got to really knock them on their asses. Let's do something really fucked up, even if it makes no sense. Let's you know, yeah. logic be damned, storytelling be damned. Let's. There's plenty of bad Japanese comics which people forget who are proponents of manga, and uh, and uh, the author doesn't always have the say. The editor and gets together with him, and if you know, there unless depending on who you are, there are some people obviously you can't touch, you know. Just like at you know, I'm I don't know if Ben this is an, is edited, you know, or, or guys like that. Um, that's not even me making fun. I really just yeah. I, believe, I don't think a lot of these guys are getting edited. Uh, the top guys at the at the at the mainstream com companies. They've got a lot of power. It's uh, it, you know, it's Stephen King disease. You know, it's just sure first draft. Probably that's a guess, uh, and sure, you know, well, code of misspelling here, you know, oh, yeah, Hawkeye's dead, you know, don't he shouldn't be here in that panel, but otherwise, there's a lot of stuff that I think it's just, uh, yeah, yeah, cool, great, sure, <laughs> move the papers over, and it's it happens in every industry. That's not just comics. Well, I mean, it's it. I mean, it's very much. I don't know. It, Was anyone yeah. sane around when they were recording that Lulu album? 
Lulu album. The uh, the um, Lou Reed and uh, Metal. What are those idiots? Oh, Metal Machine Music. No. What what the hell is that? That's a Lou Reed album. That's like. Oh no 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 no. Lou Reed and um, the guys who did uh, Enter Sandman. Oh, Metallica. Metallica. Oh God, I don't I, I don't know. Listening to that. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't think anybody asked the guy bringing you know lunch in. Hey man, what do you what do you think of this? Well, that's just you God, say this. damn. That's you know, maybe you should not finish this. You know, you don't tell. You people. know what though? You can say that about Lou Reed for the last twenty years. I I I, I don't say anything about Lou. I like some Lou Reed, okay, but I love some Lou Reed. He make I laugh when I think about Lou Reed. If you know what I mean, it's like, oh Lou Reed, you know. But then I'm like, oh I like you know, he's he's, he's somebody who's. He's kind of like Morrissey, you know. It's like you, I laugh at Morrissey, but I really like a lot of his music. But he's just such a character. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, now, now we'll have Megadeth and Morrissey doing an album or something. Right? But I, but yeah, <laughs> editing. I, I, but with manga, you know, they will change stories in the middle. Uh, if, you know, if they don't feel that the readership is responding. I mean, manga is not as pure an art form as some people, you know. That there's one guy forging ahead. I mean, that's one thing I hated when I was growing up in the 80s, that nobody would... There were all these people who were into the manga that was coming over, and I wanted to get into it, and I was reading some of it. And the way that they would write up all the manga that was coming in, it was sort of if they were like they were twisting the knife to all American artists, like, what a bunch of, what a bunch of lazy, shiftless no-goods you are. Um, you know, what would you do, 12 pages this week? Well, the 500 people in Japan just turned in 1 million pages. And you how many of them had assistants? Well, that's the thing. I didn't find you didn't you never heard about the assistants? No. And so I'm looking at uh, my the psychic girl or, uh, and uh, and I uh, forget what else I was reading and, and Lawn Wolf and I'm like, I don't know if Lawn Wolf had an assistant, uh, the artist on that to be honest. But uh, you're looking at my the psychic girl and you're like, this guy can draw all these really good human figures. He draws hair beautifully. He draws cars. He draws. Um, Buildings, technically crazy-looking architectural, you know, uh, um, professional architectural buildings, uh, and all these effects. And it turns out, you know, yeah, he had five guys there, or or more. Now, yeah. Tezuka, you read the Astro Boy reprints, and Tezuka talks about his assistants, but they don't get credited. You know, I didn't know Hergé had assistants until a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he had a I, bunch, didn't he? Yeah, and I kind of. It bothers me. I don't think they shouldn't have assistants. I didn't know Kniff had assistants. I didn't know a lot of. I didn't know um, that Hank Ketchum, you know, wouldn't touch strips. And you know, uh, really? that it bugged me. Also, I never knew people didn't write their own material in gag and newspaper strips. I, I was a naive kid, man. I, I, if you signed the work, I assumed you did the work. And for good or bad, that's one of the reasons why I just can't use assistants or. You know, my name goes on it. I did it. You know, yeah. and and uh, that freaks me out. That uh, over a course of a couple of years, I was starting to find out that, well, this guy doesn't make a living on comics. He does something else, and this guy's got assistants, and this guy's got um, uh, inkers, and and yeah, a lot of the manga artists have. It, it's a studio. It's an open. It's not a secret in Japan. In fact, I was watching a. Uh, subtitled uh, Japanese drama a few years ago about a manga artist, and his assistants kept coming over 
throughout it. They were they were minor characters, and and you know they'd be up all night passing out. It, they people know that they do the work, but it's interesting to me that no one was saying this, mm-hmm. you know. And I think for a young cartoonist, you need all the information you get. You don't need to suddenly feel like you are not only Jack, you are not only never going to be Jack Kirby, but now here's some guy, here's some guy in Japan, and he's turning out. 40 pages weekly. Yeah. yeah. And they're inked. And 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 stupidly, I thought they were doing all the work. And it's like, you know, then one day I realized, oh, you know, not everybody in New York makes their money on comics. <laughs> you know, like one day I was like realizing, wait a second, how the hell is everybody doing comics in New York? I mean, I'm barely alive, you know? And, I, oh, okay, I get it now. Yeah, they don't. That's not how they make their money. They all move to Portland, or they uh, have coffee oh, shop jobs. Uh, no, but again, like with assistance, I'm not. Uh, God bless anybody. Well, Kirby bless uh, anybody who is in a great. Anybody who inherits money, or has a rich family, or there's a side business doing great, or a spouse has a terrific job with benefits. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to castigate those folks. I no. just, I kind of, and it's not their job to go out there saying, by the way, young cartoonists, I happen to live in. I don't know, uh, you know, Williamsburg or, or, you know, 23rd Street in Manhattan, but it's not because of my comics, so don't aspire, you know, aspire yeah. to this, but it's not realistic. You know, my husband or my wife or my partner uh, is, a, is a teacher or, you know, has a, you know, has a job that allows me to do comics and live Well, in- how many cartoonists teach at the SVA? Is that a joke? Uh, well, no, I'm saying top seven lots, to, a lot, a lot, a lot. Obviously, uh, I know. Uh, I think uh, I know David Mazzucchelli. I don't know if he's still teaching there, but uh, there's a whole. You know, I go up there and I run into a bunch of people. I'm like, well, I would love to do that, but I don't think I could put a curriculum together. I love talking to people about comics, and sometimes I'm even coherent about it. But every time I do the talk at Joey's, it, it, we do like we talk for like three, four hours, me, me and the students, and. You know, after like three hours, the people who want to leave or hate me leave, and then like six, six kids sit down and we talk for another hour. And it's just, it's really, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, I come away from it, it. I do it partially because I like talking to kids about comics because I talk mostly about mistakes that I've made that I hope they don't. And, and I try to just talk to them about things like why they are here, you know, um, and what they think there is going to happen. And that, you know, how, do they want to make comics or do they want to make money? Do they, and, you know, everything's valid, but I, I, I really almost take, you know, like, if I ever did a podcast about comics, it would pretty much be like, what not to do in comics. <laughs> it, it would be all about the mistakes I've made because that's how I learned because I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't in fandom, really. I wasn't in an APA. I didn't have an older brother. I didn't know what pedographs were. I didn't know how you were supposed to do work twice size. That's another reason my comics are detailed because I worked comic book size for years. And I just talked to them about how I things I fucked up, mm-hmm. and you know how I got ripped off the first comic I ever did, and things like that, which people don't like to talk about. Who likes to talk about their mistakes all the time, other than I don't know, small press cartoonists? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, there's a lot of it's unfortunate because there's a lot of uh, people kind of want to hide the mistakes and they're getting ripped off. So in turn, more people get ripped off. And yeah, more people I get mean, I, off. well, yeah, nobody wants to talk about anything. I mean, it wasn't yeah. a big deal, but I, I. I, 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 I wrote some things on Twitter about 
the Harveys uh, the other day, and um, you know nobody cared. And it, it, look, it wasn't a serious issue in the world, let alone a, a serious issue in comics. This was not Syria. This was not you know women's right to choose. This was this was. You know, I believe comics. You know, like I was saying, the thing I was going to say earlier, when people like might chide me because I know more about comics than I do about pop music or movies, or you know, I've never, you know, I don't, I've never seen a McChee film. I haven't lived or something. I'm like, on the one hand, people are always bitching that comics aren't taken seriously. You know, oh, it's just comics, and and, and comics are stupid. Comics are for morons. It, it's 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 not a, a proper medium. It's junk. And we're all saying, so we're defending ourselves and going, comics is an endeavor that human beings are involved with, that entertains, makes money, can be art. That's that's as good as anything. And then if you say that you're spending a lot of time reading comics, your friends go, what are you, an idiot? What are you, a baby? And I'm like, no. but wait a second, aren't comics great? Why can't I look at a lot of comics? I look at other stuff. I don't. You know, but it really is funny. It's like, oh, I think you're looking at too many comics. You know, I think you're looking at too many Gauguin paintings. You know, it's, you know, I, I think, you know, I think you're listening to too much music. <laughs> comics are great, you know. <laughs> so fuck it. I'm, I'm, you know, reading, researching, absorbing a lot of comics. So I know who Brandon Graham is, but I do not know who's in the top ten of. Mm -hmm. uh, of of American music, you know, and I didn't know who this Tebow guy was until he. Came. I had to I had to Google him. I had no idea. I thought Tebow was like a wrestling move, like a submission. You know, oh, he's got a Canadian Tebow on him. I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. I thought it was like Tebow, like the oh the kickboxing master of the Tebow, that Billy Blanks guy, right? Yeah, you know, that's what I was thinking. That's all I know. Forty years ago, Billy Blanks, yeah. and he kicked celebrities in the ass, right? Yeah, and so Tebow is some football player. Or it sounds really like Christian? some T-Bow sounds like some prison sex slang a little bit to me. Oh, like a what? 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 What's the matter with that? <laughs> hey, prison is an endeavor. People are entertained by prison. <laughs> I I do miss Oz. It was a good show. Can I just get involved? Why can't I just be into prison stuff all the time? Boy, I'm not a baby. But uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I forgot what I was on, but I got back to a thing and I was back to a subject and was going to come back, but. Um, there was a point to me saying that it's. I, I see nothing wrong with feeling very deeply and immersing yourself in comics, because I do believe that you know it is. A, it's a beautiful medium, and um, you know, I adore the medium. I abhor the industry, but it's a medium. You know, nobody would yeah. say you're too involved with films. If comics started making, if everybody in comics started making serious coin, all of a sudden it would be okay to like spend your day going through tear sheets of you know tunerville trolley or something yeah maybe not well, i mean it's like it's <laughs> maybe it's, not but you know what i mean but i mean it's like uh you look at an example like someone like quentin tarantino who's this like massive obsessive about movies the same way me and you can sit and talk about comics and we can talk about a wally wood tree um you know and just because we're not making pulp fiction Right. Our obsession doesn't have that same right. value. And, you know, a guy who paints himself, you know, we're socially unacceptable still, even though comics seem to be everywhere. I'm not seeing it in the sales figures. But it seems ridiculous. Everybody, I'm seeing references to comics everywhere. I looked at the new spin in the library because of the new size of it. I was curious. I opened it up. There's an interview with a guy from uh, a synth band, one man synth band, uh, M83. I, I like some stuff that they've done. 
I look at his shelf, full of comics. And I'm like, yeah. it seems like we're everywhere, but we're still nowhere. You know, that we've got people that you and I consider iconic, and they're selling less than 10,000 copies. You know oh, what, though? I think I think as... Much less in a lot of yeah. cases. Oh, especially the Hernandez brothers. Um, I, think there are, I think the book's been doing better since they went to the volume three. I have no yeah. inside information on that. It's just, I'm, you know, but I believe it's been, sales have been pretty good on that, that the book, it gets into bookstores. In that I book. can believe it's improved substantially, um, yeah. but f there's a point there where Love and Rockets itself was barely selling, like the issues of uh, volume two, I think. were. I think Gilbert got like fiddly. some grant a year or two ago which was just awesome i mean I, I, if cartoonists knew how to put grant things together but uh, i i would never do it i know there was the swan grant i don't know if you do something for it. i know david mazzucchelli won that but that's the thing oh i was talking about the harvey it was like yeah i'm like people obviously are like oh who gives a shit if the harvey's does something that might be goofy and i'm like you know i don't know it's 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 not saving the world or feeding kids but you know it's cleaning it's it's attempting to address something in an in industry I'm part of that runs a medium that I is my. It's life. a matter. It's a matter of self-respect. And there's and self-respect is a problem that I think individual cartoonists like myself have, and I think that we have collectively of a oh it's just comics uh, mentality. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the only. I mean, we're really the only medium people leave. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, almost yeah. everybody in comics has a story about that three years they stopped reading comics. I don't know anybody. I mean, I don't go to the movies, but I still watch movies when I can at home or on DVD. Um, oh, oh, you don't see anybody going, oh, yeah, I, I really was into music. Uh, and then, you know, I started dating. I don't listen to music anymore. I haven't listened to music in 20 years. Mm -hmm. You know, movies, they still make those? I remember movies. Oh, movies were, yeah, movies were cool. I used to love going to the movies. But then, you know, eh. Who does that? Nobody. But <laughs> comics. You always end up with some guy on an airplane. And, oh, I used to love comics. They still make those? Yeah, I used to read comics. Yeah, I, you know, I got out of it. Yeah, and, and you can tell he's saying, you know, baby crap. Yeah. <laughs> it's Archie. That's all my, my grandfather would look at my comics. He, he couldn't comprehend that it, that it was not Archie. Whatever comic I showed him was Archie. You know, it's like, it, it was like They Live or something. He had the They Live glasses on, and they always showed Archie. Look, oh. Grandpa, this is the kind of thing that, that I like. And the, Oh, joke books. Oh shit. You know, grandpa, go away. I don't want to talk to you anymore. I was I was so happy when I was able to talk crazy cat with my uh ninety something year old grandma. My grandfather newspaper strips were different. Yeah. They were they but newspaper strips were socially acceptable. There were critics of them, but they were in the damn newspaper. You know? If Hearst could put this in the newspaper, it's not it's not for it's not for miscreants. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Except for Mark Trail. <laughs> that's for that's you know what I mean. Honestly, they should round up anytime they they should they should every paper that still runs Mark Trail should say in the paper tomorrow, uh, readers of this paper we are canceling Mark Trail. Any letters that they get in saying keep Mark Trail, the FBI should go to their house and uh, uh, just you know any check for pipe bombs. No, just knock the doors down, shoot their dogs, uh, you know, arrest them without due cause. And uh, I forget what the word is called. They, you know, send them to the Patriot Act. Yeah, but the, the, what is it? They re, re, when they when they uh, they send uh, people. Uh, oh, rendition. Yeah, not send, rendition. Send them to a country that does not care for Mark Trail either. Yeah. 
because these people are dangerous. Um, you know, <laughs> when's the last time you say, "Oh, I had a really great conversation with that Mark Trail fan"? Never happens. It never happens. Am I right? I will take your word with it for it because I've never had a, any conversation about Mark Trail up until today. Oh, I believe I've made my point. I think I've won something. Yeah. You get a, a Harvey, and we'll share it. I don't get a Harvey. <laughs> it's it's 80, $81 if I want to get my Harvey Award. That's okay. And uh, sure, who cares, you know? Yeah, who it's cares? comics. But uh, that's a great system that, you know, you have an awards program and six people have to pay for their award. That makes sense well, to there me. Well, in Canada, there was something recently where uh, Jillian and Mariko Tamaki were up for uh, Governor General Literary Award for um, the skim, but only I think only Mariko, the writer, was actually nominated. That sounds to me like it's that typical uh, clash of people who don't understand comics yeah. and only put the There's been a lot of times where uh, I've seen Beasts of Burden written up on a library. I mean, that's one nice thing that it got into a lot of library systems. But it was nominated for, for some awards through library things, and it drove me nuts that they would only put my name on it. it it's that it, Again, it's the not even bothering to try to take two minutes to understand what that category and what that medium, that part of the publishing medium is. That uh, picture books, I don't, if they, they would never leave Maurice Sendak out of a book. Um, because they know how that works, yeah. And of course, and Maurice Sendak will come to your house and, and you know, convince probably you. cut you, beat you. He'll cut your throat. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Mark Trail, Trail your ass. You know? What the hell is this? And uh, uh, have you been watching those well, Maurice Sendak interviews? I'm sorry. Have you watched or read any recent Sendak interviews? Uh, yes, I have. It's I, amazing. Uh, I saw my brother-in-law was in town, and he said we have to watch the um, uh, Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert show had an interview with him in two parts, and I've never seen the Colbert show, but it was really funny. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know I didn't know what he did. I actually didn't know he played a character. Um, completely, di you know, I didn't know it was like an Alan Partridge, uh, well, something like that. But I mean, uh, I thought it was I thought it was really funny because it was Sendak was funny as hell. But I thought Colbert was funny too, but mm. uh, the uh, it was great because he just doesn't give a fuck anymore. Yeah, and uh, I love how he just tells people. You know, I, I had read a, uh, a print interview with him where he was, uh, you know, hitting kids on his lawn with a cane. You know, <laughs> you know, saying, "Get off my lawn! I'm not doing a sequel to Where Wild Where the Wild Things Are." You're a, you're a you're a you're a peanut brain. You know, America, go away! You got the one book. You know that's that's such a big. I don't understand people with that. But the, you know we we could do 17 more hours about uh, American comic industry can't end anything uh, yeah. versus Europe and Japan, which uh, can end everything except asterisks, I guess. <laughs> or, <laughs> that thing's gonna keep going. Well, isn't, isn't there a Spanish or is it an Italian comic called Tex that uh, is oh. about the old, old West and is actually predates the old west i believe it started coming well, out. wasn't gasoline alley still going i think it started coming i think tech started coming out in 1400 what about gasoline alley isn't that still going gasoline alley yeah that's a legacy strip that's still going uh well newspaper strips aren't the same yeah news they're you know they're there classy are who are only there there are people who are only alive because i don't know miss peach is still going 
you know, or some shit like you know, because <laughs> I mean, I keep just, grandma I, going. Miss, Miss Peach, I don't understand something. Miss Peach, Miss Peach, that's like practically how you know. I, I <laughs> the, the bunch. Of, I think they finally got rid of uh, the um, what was that? Oh, I can't remember the Lockhorns. The guy died, and the strip kept coming out under his name for like years. The Lockhorns is by the guy who did. Um, well, that's what he did. He did the Lockhorns, and he did something about a big, big, stupid dog for uh, like Parade magazine. Uh, Bill Host or Hest? It was the couple. It was pretty much. It was the Bickersons from Radio. Okay, I have no idea. Do you remember that? You've never seen that one? Maybe the Canada Bandit, right? You know, and it was. Well, just... I just I was never a big strip guy. This is actually, I had a conversation with someone the other night because we were talking about the Floyd Gottfrids and stuff, and I was saying how it just really didn't grab me. How much I'm loving the Carl Barks reprints, but the Gottfrids and stuff, it's just not grabbing me. And it's simple. I just, I'm not big on strips. That, but that, mm, well, we should talk sometime. <laughs> I, I used to be the same way. I, I couldn't read adventure strips or, or anything, um, um, maybe because of Mark Trail. But uh, the, I, I, I love strips. I've completely. Yeah completely completely fallen head over heels about you know number of years ago and just decided strips are the bee's knees and i love and most it's it seems to be where most of my most of the comics trading i don't do buying i've spent six dollars on comics so far this year to get the uh, bill malden book that uh, spurgeon alerted everyone was on sale for six dollars I, I can't afford comics uh which is kind of sad but uh um, I use my trade at the local store in the library to stay on top of stuff, and I and I get a lot of comics from my daughter, who, uh, without being forced or coerced, is a comics fan, and uh, which is killing me. It just, uh, you know, it just kills me to see her, you know, go grab a Smurfs uh, or the Godfordson. She yeah. loves, she loves, loves Carl Barks, Duck stuff, and Uncle Scrooge. Her only, she, her first pull, she had, she had the only poll list in the, in the house uh, was for the boom uh, Uncle Scrooge every month but she likes the bongo comics which is great because well the, the, the comps everybody clamped down that's how I knew the industry was falling apart uh, the, everybody clamped down on their comps last year and uh, everybody started sending out less stuff and nothing if you didn't work on it from almost all the companies who are, who are, who are talking who I'm dealing with and that was sad because she loves she really likes the Simpsons comics mm -hmm. I mean we you know we get them eventually but she she just you know she loves it she loves it. she picked up the moomin stuff recently she didn't have an interest in it when we were first picking it up now she loves it um felix cat reprints uh strip and comic i mean she just really likes comics uh and uh she's already a bit of a geek because she's complaining about weisinger era superman I mean, I'm not kidding. It was the funniest thing. She picks up uh, one of those showcases. A friend of mine at DC sent us to him, sent us to them years ago. And she picks up this Superman family or whatever, uh, and she reads through a whole bunch of it. Um, and she looks up at us and starts going, "This is ridiculous." This, and she's, I think, six at the time, six or maybe, yeah, maybe even five. Basically, she starts complaining about kryptonite. I said, "Oh my God, she's sick. We must get her to a hospital. It's, it's, get, it's, the, it's the newsprint is getting to her, just like it did us. Uh, she's becoming poisoned by comics. She's going to become a. She's going to start set, sending crazy letters. Start customizing. Just, just once she has a blog, it's she all went over. nuts about. She was like, there's too many kinds of. She's basically, and, but she was saying it really funny because she's a kid, you know. But she's she was already sussing out how stupid 
and in, in a way wonderfully stupid these 50s silver age comics are that you know when these guys were at lunch getting drunk and they said oh shit i gotta do another fucking superman today uh i'll make up shit uh you know uh yeah. diamond kryptonite because i want to go home you know <laughs> i'll send this guy to do diamond kryptonite i'm going home and you know so you end up with 17 kinds of kryptonite and she just thought this was the dumbest thing because she said how much kryptonite can land on earth I said, Emily, that's something it took Roy Thomas and all these people 30 years to bitch about. Congratulations. You're ruined. So Maybe maybe she has uh, has a future in editing comics. No. <laughs> I believe very strongly in, in editing in comics, and I also believe very strongly that there is very little actual editing in comics, but I would not uh, do this. Sarah almost became an editor at a company. She was offered a... Uh, editing position at a uh, known quantity. I, I would not be surprised because she did a great job with Action Girl. No. I don't... Yeah. I, uh, well, I recommend she, people checking that out. She's... Uh, well, it's hard. We've we got, we got a few copies sitting around. I know. Um, oh, please. Don't get me started on... Oh, well. Anyway. I'm yeah. very pro-women in comics. Let's put it that way. <laughs> But I, I have issues with certain issues about women in comics. <laughs> Maybe uh, this is a good note to end on. No, probably it's a bad <laughs> note to end on. You want to talk about Batmite for a minute or two, so everybody, uh, <laughs> that, you know, I mean, I'm not, you know, I, you know what I mean. I just yeah. every six years people have the same idea, yeah, and, and they don't check just to go. Maybe we can learn something from the way this worked or didn't work beforehand before we start making blanket sw sweeping statements. Personally, I think there's plenty of... I think there's a lot of women in comics. I think we need people to go buy their comics. I think there's more women in comics now than ever. I mean, you go to... You don't even have to just go to the, uh, you know, artsy shows. You go to Heroes Con. You go to these other shows. This, I'm jealous for the guys getting into this industry and the girls who like girls. You know what I mean? There's yeah. cute... There's cute girls and boys all over these damn conventions of legal age. And when I was coming into conventions and was desperate to have a girlfriend, you, you, the only girls you'd see generally were, uh, you know, cleaning your room. Or Wendy Peeney dressed up as Red Sonja. Wendy, yeah, Wendy, Wendy Peeney and, and Trina Robbins. And I, I, did recognize, I did see Jill at the first convention I ever did because how could you miss Jill with that hair? And uh, I didn't know her. She was across the. She was literally at the table across from me. Because back then you could. I got my table for free. Free fan tables, at the San Diego Con. Amazing, you know. Yeah. And uh, and I, you know, if there was a girl in the room, you noticed her. Um, and uh, you know, if it, if it, if it was uh, <laughs> anyway, I won't go. <laughs> but. Uh, so it's funny that I ended up, you know, that she and I became friends and that we are now partners on, on, a, on a book is just, you know, I guess what I was trying to say. That was an amazing convention because I have the uh, uh, the list of people who were in Artist Alley that year in 1987. And it was Dark Horse's, like, first convention, Slave Labor's first convention, Kamiko was there, uh, Mike Mignola had a table, uh, Jill had a table. If I had it in front of me, I could read these names, and you'd be going, you would, you'd be really knocked out about how many of those people uh, got somewhere. Mm -hmm. And 
but it would it would be a great convention just to have those people right now, and uh, that back then you could meet everyone in that room and hang out with people and uh, talk, and that's that's something that uh, why I really like Heroes Con and stuff like that. But this is so totally now far afield off of uh, what you wanted to talk about, which was nothing you wanted me to hang up. <laughs> I don't blame you. This is two hours we've been talking, so you can't. It's been it's been fantastic. I've really enjoyed. This. I lo- well, I love talking to you, Robin. I mean, you brought me donuts at Tim Hort, and, and you helped me when I was in having that horrible night getting my stuff into the library at TCAF. When oh, they, the when it was freezing cold. Was that? That was just amazing. Snow. Yeah, yeah it's a shame. I want to go back to TCAF so damn bad. I am in the same boat this year. We, I will not be attending. For well, we didn't go time. last year. I really wanted to go. Uh, Really wanted to go this year. I had a nice time at the convention, but the convention was so it was. We had our daughter with us, and the weather was so bad that we couldn't do anything in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And you know, windows were blowing out. Baby strollers were literally flying through the air. You know, <laughs> it, I'm not kidding. It was insane. Yeah. I think De- coming back, Tom Devlin, there was a uh, a window blew out next to him. I think this was the thing where the they had the Dan Klaus talk. This is the year Dan was there. Yeah. And during the talk. There was this amazing lightning storm behind him, which made him like this, I don't know, kind of, I don't know how to describe it. You sure it superpower. wasn't? You sure it wasn't Neil Adams showing off uh, how the Earth works? <laughs> it's shrinking. It's shrinking. It's expanding. It's shrinking. Rocks are suns. I, I was there for that one on the CVDLF cruise. Holy moly! Oh, that's a that's, ton. That's another story we'll altogether. Talk about that another time. But I, I wish I could remember more of it because it was, uh, it was. Uh, it was like it was like being on LSD. It was like having Ralph Cramden explain metaphysics to you. I uh, was uh, I amazing. was told. I'll I'll tell you a story in a couple minutes. Of, uh, I got you. Okie dokie. <laughs> bars is bars thank, stories. Thank you so much, Evan, for coming and joining me today. A reminder, folks. I've been talking with Evan Dorkin, whose uh, latest book is Milk and Cheese Collection from Dark Horse, as well as Beasts of Burden. Just yell, wake up. <laughs> it's over. You can return to your homes. The storm is over. I had a great time. You must have been the death commander. Giving out the order for fun. You must have been the death commander. You know that he's the only one who gives the orders here. Alright. Who gives the orders here? Alright. It would be awesome. Chances run.